Hello, welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings. I am your host, Michael Rowland. My normal co-host, Jen Gallagher, is out today. Um, she was busy doing something unimportant. Uh, actually, she's having a baby. and Well, she had a baby, and so she's enjoying that. Uh, so she'll be out for a little while, and I'm trying to make it up to all the listeners who otherwise would have to be listening only to me by inviting some great guests. Um, and we got two such great guests on with us today. Dave and Johnny, a.k.a. the Melonheads, from the Council of Elrond podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. And I'll, I'll say, this is our second attempt, our second attempt <laughs> at getting this right. <laughs> we had one ill-fated uh, attempt to go live, and I was very excited about it. Never live streamed before. I thought I had all my ducks in a row, and it instantly broke. Well, first, the only thing people could see was me, and nobody could hear or see you. So, you know... That's that was a good thing, but then the whole stream shut down. <laughs> Hopefully, second time is <laughs> no. a charm. Yeah, that's that's what we're going for here. Let's not go for the third time. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think uh, I don't want to subject you to to a third time. It'll be midnight by the time <laughs> we get that going. So we're gonna talk about the Empire Magazine article, which has been teasing Lord of the Rings fans for the past week. We've been getting snippets of the covers. We've been getting little um, shots from. The photos from the, the magazine and glimpses of what's being said in the magazine. So the, the issue finally came out yesterday. I just want to hear from you guys initial just reactions. Um, Johnny, why don't you go first? Did it get you excited? Did you just see more of the same or did you see stuff you actively didn't like? I mean, how did it make you feel looking at this episode or this uh, issue? I, I, I just get excited anytime I see anything new come out. Uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings uh, Tolkien related at all so it doesn't matter if it's Rings of Power if it's War of the Rohirrim stuff I'm always excited I'm like uh, you know a little kid at Christmas so I was definitely excited um, I there were some things in the article that definitely made me feel even more kind of relaxed about the series coming out there were other things then on on the other hand that I was a little bit concerned about but um, yeah in general I like I mean I think the in terms of the the images that we've seen so far again i've got some little small gripes about those but in terms of just the quality of image it really looks stunning especially the some of the landscape shots and the uh costume design things like that uh just in terms of the the, the clothes the armor the materials that people are wearing uh I, I i love it i really i think it feels good i think it feels feels like middle earth yeah i think it it struck the same chord for me and really, this was the first time I'd seen the images and I really got excited by any of them. Like a lot of them have been fine. Like some of them have been good. Some of them have been not so good or not exciting. But I was always kind of a, like hyper evaluating them and none of them like struck me and made me feel excited. You know, I remember how I felt watching The Fellowship of the Ring, like just the the intro scene, hearing Kate Blanchett's voice and just going, oh, my God, this this is it. Like immediately it, it hit home for me and much of the. The film after that did the same thing, had the same effect. Um, I never had gotten those feelings really seeing anything that had come out so far. None of the images, the teaser, like it was all good and fine. And I was like enjoying parts of it, but none of it got me really excited. But some of these images, not all of them, but some of them, um, and especially the the Elven group shots, especially those are the ones that I'm really thinking of. Those got me excited. Yeah. I was like, these are these are gorgeous. The use of lighting. um, this is how I imagine the high elves looking. Um, and I think it, it matches or in some, Definitely. for those shots, maybe exceeds even the visuals that we saw in Peter Jackson's film. So 
my my gut check was I, I'm excited for what, what I've seen. The article itself, I would say, didn't tell us much or didn't give us anything new. I don't think it was for us. You know, I don't think it was for the super fan who's been watching everything and, you know, voraciously uh, consuming every piece of news that's come out. I think it was more for the casual fan who is aware of Lord of the Rings but hadn't really thought about the show much. And so someone sees this magazine, sees this cover, opens it up. Oh, what's the show going to be about? It's really an introduction. So there's all kinds of stuff about, like, telling the reader it's in the second age and um, it's not going to be exactly like Peter Jackson's film. It's going to be something new, like a lot of high-level stuff, most of which I think we're already relatively familiar with. But I think there were a few nuggets in the article itself that were kind of new or, or good to hear, and I, I thought we could kind of go through some of those. Um, and if you have any, you know, let me know, and we'll talk about those at all as well. But there were a few quotes in here from McKay and um, what's I'm blanking on the name of the other showrunner, but the two showrunners, just about their their approach, J.D. Payne. JD Payne, thank you. J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, their approach to the material, their approach to Tolkien, that makes me you know, feel good and feel like that they are invest, as invested in Tolkien as I am and as the other fans are. And so here's one that really sticks, stuck out. Um, quote, the pressure would drive us insane if we didn't feel like there was a story here that didn't come from us. It comes from a bigger place, says McKay. It came from Tolkien, and we're just the stewards of it. We trust those ideas so deeply because they're not ours. We're custodians at best. And somewhere else in the article, they also say, quote, as long as we felt like every invention of ours was true to his essence, we knew we were on the right track. That's exactly what I, I would want to hear from them, you know? And, and there are a couple of other examples mm. in there, but those are, you know, th the big ones that made me feel like, okay, they really kind of get this and they feel the weight of the responsibility. You know, this is important material to them. Yeah. Um, just to say something about the showrunners that, um, from any anything that I've heard from the the groups of the online Tolkien community and people that like make YouTube videos and, and people that basically went to that sort of London uh, twenty minute premiere or whatever, most people that went to that spoke about how uh, the the conversation that they had with the showrunners really like put their minds at ease in terms of how much they uh, they these guys are clearly just. Tolkien nerds and they are fans of Tolkien right. before like before anything else and so apparently these guys definitely know their stuff and like just when I've heard from certain people that I'm that I, that I know from online that I know that I can trust and their opinions and saying how these guys we can trust them to that at least that they know the lore and they're not just you know just some puppets being put in there to make some you know explosions on screen and do some sort of a game of thrones type thing they actually care about the lore and they care about tolkien so i think caring about tolkien is the most important thing if you want to actually kind of make an adaptation i suppose so i feel more at ease yeah, like, with that it's a fundamental starting point right i mean it you know they could still yeah. be bad at making a film bad at making the show they could be bad in other ways they could make decisions we don't like but at the minimum you want your showrunner to start with caring about the underlying material because that's not always the case. You have these big media properties and there isn't necessarily even a heart to them the way that there is a heart to Tolkien's material, um, you know, a heart to respect. Mm. But, mm. you know, they just view this media franchise as a vehicle for let's just get some more explosions in there or another fun story and they just kind of write whatever they want to write. Sure. Um, there for them was, to recognize we are stewarding something bigger than us um, and we want to get that right, you know, to acknowledge that that's, that's really important to me. Hmm. 
there was there was one other quote from JD Payne in the article that said we weren't interested in a sequel or prequel or rehash or nostalgia it had to stand on its own two feet and that was also something that caught my eye thinking that I don't know in this day and age in 2020 2022 it seems like we're all about nostalgia and just kind of you know let's you know the new star wars let's just make it the same as the new hope and let's just you know people are going to love right, that because yeah. of nostalgia legacy sequels. and it seems like yeah it's just like it's a bit of a cop-out where you know they're just like oh let's just use the name and that's going to be enough so at least here again they've clearly come out and said look this has to stand on its own two feet as in if you've never even seen like the peter jackson trilogies if you've never seen the you know uh, the 1970s uh, cartoons or whatever this is your first introduction to, to a, a Tolkien uh, adaptation that it just stands on its own as its own story that like made me feel like okay at least that's something else that we should be happy with that direction I suppose yeah absolutely but you know not everybody would react to that quote as positively as you and as I react positively to that quote as well I think a lot of people read that and they're like oh, they're going to do their own thing. You know, everyone's very worried they're going to be inserting their own, you know, not faithful to Tolkien kind of morality in there or or, or whatever. Um, but I think... Yeah, but for, for me, when I heard that quote, I took it with the knowledge of what I said before, knowing that these guys are, as they said, custodians of right. Tolkien's work and knowing that they care, like that's where they come from. That's their bread and butter, knowing the lore and right. Tolkien. And then they're saying, we want to create something that, stands on its own so i suppose it's that quote with the knowledge of thinking i know something about these guys and also something else that people have said is maybe one of the biggest marketing flaws so far from amazon is not to put a camera on the showrunners and just say you know let's interview these guys and let people see what they're actually like and i think that would be something that might put a lot of people's minds at ease as well well and it seems like they're doing that now i mean you know inviting all the influencers and and talking content creators um, which didn't include me or or you guys. So, you know, Amazon, I mean, screw know? you guys. You what know? do they know? <laughs> I only have yeah. bad opinions about Amazon now. No, They're um, lost. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, uh, they, they, it's kind of rolling the dice a little bit, you know, to invite all those Tolkien diehards out there to meet the, the showrunners. If the showrunners fell on their face, like if they didn't measure up, you know, if they're like, I've read Lord of the Rings a couple times, um, but yeah. then they start getting peppered with questions about the Silmarillion or whatever, and they don't know, they can't engage um, intellectually on the same level as those fans. That would have been a disaster. I mean, uh, yeah. For all, everyone wants to say that they're, you know, all these content creators sold their soul or whatever. I absolutely do not believe that's true. If these showrunners were crap, they would have told us so. I, and like I a lot agree. of the, some of the stuff that came yeah. out today, it's, it wasn't all full throated positive stuff. Like there was criticisms in there. So, of course it was. Um, yeah. No, but I, I think that gambit agree. paid off. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree. And I also think that I think, I think um, the opposite. I think that uh, it was really uh, brave on Amazon's part to to take on these uh, Tolkien, you know, fanatics because, I mean, they should have known that. I mean, and again, if you're if you're a fan of Tolkien or if you're a fan that has been watching these Tolkien influencers, these guys that make weekly YouTube videos, if you've been watching those guys for any length of time and then you suddenly think all of them just suddenly decided to drop their love of what they're doing just for the sake of a trip a free trip to oxford and london it's completely ridiculous these are the like hardest people to please and all of them in one room at one time so i think that that was a really brave thing to do and i think it it's it's uh, for me i've taken nothing but positives from it dave you had something to say 
No, I was I was just going to say that I saw somebody talking about how Amazon's entire marketing strategy has been kind of a disaster from the get go. I think that they were trying to appease people that were fans of you know Game of Thrones and people that were fans of Harry Potter and just trying to show like here comes a new competitor to enter the market but they really didn't think about all the people that actually love Tolkien and like the previous Lord of the Rings movies already they kind of thought that they'd already be on their side and then that was um that was echoed again when they brought out that super fans video that I'm sure we've all seen um of those guys that weren't real fans at all <laughs> and uh, I think the whole inviting people over to London was just kind of a way to it was almost like a a reaction to the Superfans video because that went down so badly and they were like, oh crap, we got to get some uh-huh. of the, the actual fans on board. So let's bring all the biggest nerds that we can and let's let's wine and dine them and make them shills, as everyone <laughs> says. No, I don't agree with that last part. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think the marketing has been pretty, pretty poor. And uh, hopefully we just have to wade through the last couple of months. I think I tweeted last night saying, I just can't wait for this show to be here and be on so we don't have to speculate anymore and debate anymore. And I'm, I'm just kind of sick of it at this point. I just want it to be there and either be good or be bad. I don't care, but just just come on, let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it really remains to be seen how effective their marketing strategy will be, you know, what we'll see at the end. Cause for, for us, maybe it's, it's been ineffective cause we're like watching everything that comes out, you know, and looking at it with a magnifying glass, but for like the average, the average fan, the marketing is just starting for them. Some of the stuff they're seeing, it's going to be the first time they've seen anything and we'll see how effective it is. Um, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a, a, a strategy in play beyond my comprehension. <laughs> and I, Perhaps. For, for one, I'm, in, you know, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying all the speculating. I mean, this is like, uh, I'm Me almost, too, yeah. I'm obviously anxious for the show to come out, but once it's out, I can't speculate anymore. You know, yeah. I, my imagination has to take a bit of a backseat to what's being put in front of me. So I'm kind of trying to enjoy these last few months where I get to take little snippets and let my imagination run wild. You're, you're enjoying your own speculation, but. I, I'm I, I'm really getting tired of like clicking into YouTube and just seeing all these videos on my homepage of just people that are absolutely slating the series right as like again oh, yeah. capital letters doomed show and again I mean you know people can I mean Woke. I'm enjoying speculating and thinking about what's going to happen but right, these people right. that have just taken this complete you know it's it's all terrible it's all going to be and for for that reason I can agree with Dave and say I'm looking forward to this, the series being out and if it's terrible <laughs> then I'll be like okay these guys uh-huh. are they can make their videos and that's fine they're, they, they have the right to their opinion but people who are just nailed on to it this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen before it's even come out is just really kind of I'm just getting sick of it now at this stage well, I think I'm even more pessimistic than you in a way because I'm pretty sure that once the show comes out, even if it is good, those voices aren't going to stop saying what That's they're saying. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. I like, Johnny, how you sounded like you were on an episode of Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or something, and you are like, and for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> it just sounded really cool. <laughs> but you're like, and for that reason, I'm looking forward to coming out. <laughs> yeah. So there's one other sort of uh, high-level quote that I pulled out of here that I that I really liked, and that is um, J.D. Bayona, say, say, who directed the first couple episodes, and the showrunners, they, they made some comments about the action in the show. And they got a split Ooh, yeah. response from me, split reaction. Um, I'll read the quotes, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing and chopping it up here, but these are the important bits. 
Quote, the show's action, which will find new ways to thrill, separate from the epic arming of Jackson's trilogy, and a little bit later, the show has a lot of action in it, more so than any television or streaming show that we've seen. Every episode has set pieces, creatures, battles, and white-knuckle fights to the death, adds McKay, but instead of having 10,000 orcs fighting 10,000 men, what's it like to have one orc in your face in your kitchen? What's it like trying to kill an orc when you've never killed an orc before? Now, this is why I have two reactions to this. One, we've talked about this on our show many times before. Tolkien didn't really care about action. He didn't dwell on fight scenes. Um, that's why, like, you know, everyone loves Helm's Deep from the Jackson films. And they're, those are great scenes. Very, very well done. I like them. But it's kind of made up, you know. Uh, in the actual two towers, Helm's Deep is like a couple pages. And it's just told in very summary fashion. Because for Tolkien, the story didn't happen on the battlefield or, you know, you didn't focus on the person swinging the sword. All the action happened elsewhere, or the, the narrative action. And so I was, I don't want to hear them say, oh, there's going to be tons of action because that would seem to be contrary to that. Like they're not going to be focusing mm-hmm. on narrative development as much. But the second half of this where he says, we're not going to have huge battle scenes. We're going to be focusing on close up action, you know, one-on-one action. I actually really like that because Tolkien did have those moments. Um, w- where, you know, you kind of zoom in on one character's experience in a tight spot. Um, you know, whether it's uh, Gandalf fighting the Balrog in Moria, um, the Watcher in the Water. There are these action-packed moments. They're not battle scenes so much as zooming in on a character you care about who's in a very, very tight spot. If we get that type of action that can double as character development or have some purpose to the plot, I actually really would like that. So we'll see how it shakes out. But this this could go two ways for me. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that's very common for like television adaptations. I think I think we see it in some of the Star Wars TV shows as well, where they kind of make like if you go and see a Star Wars movie and they're just butchering hundreds of clones or hundreds of stormtroopers or whatever. But then right. when you see the TV show, they kind of zoom in more and they kind of make two stormtroopers feel like such a big bad and uh, that's kind of what I thought about mm-hmm. when I read that line. Just th- th- they're going to try and emphasize the fear of one orc being so terrifying. I think they said something about an orc being in your face, in your own yeah. kitchen. And I immediately, my mind went to, is it Br- Bronwyn or whatever the lady's name is? I can't yep. remember what her name is. Bronwyn. Yeah, um, yeah just, just her like being in her kitchen and like trying to go under tables and grab knives and grab any sort of tools. And the, there's this big, massive orc in her kitchen, like trying to kill her. So um, I think, yeah, that's the kind like what you said. Um, I don't want to see a big battle scene or a big, huge uh, set piece in every single episode, but something like that, something small and low key. I think the walking dead did it quite well. Um, just like a little, a little fear in every episode, something to keep us on our toes. Like a dwarf at a urinal. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's really funny that I've actually uh, w- when I read the article, I, I just I took a couple of notes so that I could remember what I what I what I had actually read, and I, I didn't take that many. But one of the notes that I took was about this uh, this uh, this quote, and I had almost one of the most identical uh, thoughts to Dave. And it's really funny because I also made a kind of a a comparison with Star Wars because I was kind of saying how. Um, I don't like the way in some of the Star Wars movies, especially maybe movies one to three, when they're just 
uh, I don't want to make this uh, stream about Star Wars, but uh, when they're uh, fighting against droids and things like that, there's they're in a room and there's just like 20 droids and they're just like, oh, they're nothing and they're just wiping them out. I, and then when we watch the movies from Lord of the Rings as well and you just see a battle scene in Pelennor Fields and Aragorn's just, you know, he's just cutting through seas of orcs like it's no problem. And I mean, I absolutely love that. I adore it's amazing. that. But love it kind of, te- <laughs> it, it's incredible, but it kind of takes away from the terror of it would be yeah. to face, like imagine being in your kitchen and an orc just runs in and starts chasing you. I mean, I kind of, I want to have that kind of gritty and scary feeling. Like when I remember being in the cinema for the Fellowship of the Ring and seeing the Nazgul attack at Weathertop and I was terrified. Ooh. And I want that kind of a, like, I mean, I, I know it's going to be like, uh, maybe I think it's like 14s or something like that. But I think you know, the Fellowship of the Ring was like 12s or something as well. So they can have these scary moments. And I hope that they do. These kind of like slightly dark scary like one-on-ones uh, orc in your face and we know that the peter jackson style orcs as well they are terrifying with those uh, mm-hmm. that like uh the makeup mm-hmm. and the masks that they made i would love to see some of those like one-on-one with like a you know a, a like a, a shaky camera kind of this orc running at you that would be really really incredible i think and um yeah, I just thought it was funny that Dave and I both had some sort of Star Wars analogies. You can see that we're both Star Wars fans as well. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, I was just going to say that I think uh, that tiny clip at the very end of the Rings of Power trailer that we saw all those months ago, um, there's like a one second scene of, I think it's Finrod at a battle and you see the orcs for the first time and some of those close-ups have been enhanced to death and those orcs look big and brutal and terrifying. So... Um, maybe not so mm-hmm. much like the little hunched goblins that we saw a lot in mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's, but yeah, if they bring some of those scary beasts into this uh, Rings of Power and have them show up in each episode, kind of like the Walking Dead, like big scary zombie creatures, I'm all for it. Let's uh, let's have it. Yeah, I like that comparison uh, because if all your battle scenes are huge war scenes, or if you have like you know, like in Jackson's Lord of the Rings, Legolas just killing orcs by the dozen, like it's no big deal. You know, when you ha- when you're killing people off at that rate, life becomes cheap, yeah. right? And and cheap in the minds of the viewer, and so the stakes actually go down. You think you're ramping up the action, but the stakes actually go down for the viewer. Totally. It becomes less impactful. Mm. You know, you're not scared. You're just expecting your heroes to just swing their sword and like you know, thirty people will die with every stroke, and it becomes kind of absurd when you dial it back and actually get a film things on a more human level. And I like your comparison to The Walking Dead you really realize, oh, this is a person fighting for their life. They are very afraid they're going to die and they're fighting one other person or one orc, you know, or what have you. So if they approach it that way... I'm know. not sure if you have the quote there in front of you, but I think it mentioned something about... Uh, it said something about like coming face-to-face with an orc in your kitchen or something like that, but I think it also said something yeah. about killing your first orc or something like yeah. that. And again, that was something yeah. that I thought, like, imagine you're just a normal you're person not- and maybe you've never even seen an orc and one suddenly, like Dave said in The Walking Dead kind of thing, it's this sort of zombie creature is trying to kill you in your own house and you actually defend like defend yourself and you fight for your life and you have this huge struggle and kill this horrible monster and then just the feeling of after taking a life for the first time i mean it's 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 a big deal and like we're saying like you just said there that these huge battle scenes can cheapen the life i suppose and uh i think it's but then again there are parts in tolkien's writings where he's just talking about maybe like Huron just swinging his axe and like wiping out, you right. know, you know, so uh, things like that. So there are those parts in Tolkien's writings as well. So um, we have both, best of both worlds. 
That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, we, we can have the big war scenes sometimes, but I think we want to build up to them, mm, right? We sure. We want to build up to it. Definitely. Um, so another plot-related quote here, and this is – you could probably chalk this up to me reading too much into something, but we're going to do it anyway, and I think it's kind of interesting. So J.A. Bayona says, quote, war uh, – and this is about sort of the where the show starts and the, the setting of the, the main narrative. Quote, war has ended, but peace hasn't settled yet. There are characters who have an intuition that evil is not finished yet. They face a lot of denial. Across all these different worlds, you're seeing characters deal with the impact of war and their suspicion that there's more to come. And I'm, I was kind of excited to, to hear this quote because it keys in on something that I think is really, really important about the start of the Second Age that often gets overlooked, which is, you know, the First Age ends in victory, you know, I guess. They defeat Morgoth in the War of Wrath and they win the War of Wrath. But you know, war, even if you win, it's not really a happy ending. There's a huge toll. There's a huge cost, a personal cost. The trauma of war is is significant. And, you know, the War of Wrath, take your normal war and amp it up by a million. I mean, it, it reshapes the world. The entire continent is, is underwater. All of Beleriand is underwater. And so, you know, if you really think that through, there are kingdoms and communities that are totally displaced, family members lost, and, you know, entire groups of people. Um, you know, offshoots of races are probably just wiped out off the face of the earth. And the people that are left behind, yeah, they won the war, but they have to rebuild this world and also cope with the, the trauma of having gone through that war. And then combine that with the fact that after they won, the Valar said, okay, all you Noldren elves, the, the ban of the Valar has been lifted. You can all come back to Valinor. And a lot of them go. Um, and hey, all you men that helped out, um, we're going to reward you. And we're going to give you your own island. So they all go. So Middle-earth, this just war-ravaged place, devastated, um, needs to be rebuild, rebuilt. But everyone's also leaving. All the good folks, you know, the, the people that would be most useful in rebuilding this world, they're leaving. And so Middle-earth is, I think, if you, in my mind, um, it is a tough place to, to live in. And so I think that sort of trauma and all the ramifications of what a war brings to can, it can bring to a continent. I, I like that it, it, this quote indicates that they are maybe grappling with that a little bit and will be incorporating it into the plot. So I was kind of pleased to see that. For sure. That's a really good point. It kind of, when you were speaking there, it almost reminded me a little bit about uh, maybe the beginning of uh, Endgame, Avengers Endgame, when they, they all kind of, there's been the big, you know, the big war with Thanos and there's a snap and like wipes out half the population and then we pick up in the the, the final movie and it's just they're they're just it's I think it's like five years later I can't really remember and they're still just picking up the pieces of their life five years later people are still just like struggling from like PTSD trying to build like get their lives back together every like people are you know uh, seeing counselors and therapists and just really right. struggling to move on with their lives after this huge event that's wiped out huge numbers of people so I mean I liked that a lot about the beginning of that movie the way that they were saying look it's it's a big deal what happened here. Lots of other movies where you see uh, just, you know, war happening and then they win. Hooray, we've won. And uh, now we're, we're all happy. And it's like, no, the the, the toll of that war, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers of lives that have been lost is going to like take a massive toll for years to come. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. there. Pretty good point. I think um, uh, also on Fellowship of Fans, they've reported that the first season is going to be mostly kind of 
getting to know the characters and the setup of the show. I think it, it maybe um, a previous article might have talked a bit about this. So there's there's even doubt that we might not see Sauron in the first season of the show, or maybe it'll be like the last episode yeah. kind of thing. So maybe that's going right. to be kind of a way to introduce people to an unfamiliar Middle Earth. Um, people are going to be like, why aren't the elves all happy? And why aren't, you know, people doing this and that? Like what we're used to seeing in Tolkien's movie or Jackson's movies. Um, but it, it just might be kind of a way to remind people, or sorry, to get newcomers um, into the fact or letting them know what Middle Earth looks like after this massive destruction. Uh, also, I think it was reported by Fellowship of Fans as well that orcs are believed to have been extinct. So again, when we were talking about how someone might be killing their first orc, um, and yeah, people mightn't even have seen orcs or mightn't even believe that they're real. So it's kind of like a brand new threat. And I think the whole first season, uh, it's going to need to take some time to set up all these elements because um, we're going to have to see some big things in the later seasons to come. So... Yeah, depending on how they do the time compression. I mean, if they live in a world where they believe all the orcs are extinct, and if you know, if they allow that some amount of time has passed since you know the first age and the start of the second age, it could be that like all the humans at least, like their generations removed from orcs ever existing. So for them, it may be just like a myth. Did orcs ever yeah. exist? You know, they they wouldn't even believe it. It's like a boogeyman. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, these orcs start popping up, and they're like, Nah, you know, you're you're scared of shadows. I like that. Nah, man, it's not real. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that too, yeah. Um, what you pointed out, you know, the fact that this first season is is a really slow developmental, like let's develop the characters. We're not even going to introduce our, our main antagonist. Um, I think probably there's been some talk. We probably won't see the forging of the rings, which is I, I would like if that's the case. You know, that happens a little bit later. Mm. Um, you can't do that in a show unless you have a commitment from the studio for a certain number of seasons. So you can, you know, you can take your time and tell the story you want to want to tell. And that was the, that's the last thing I kind of wanted to point out before we get into the photos here is that um, they confirmed, you know, Amazon bought a 50 hour show. They've committed to that. I mean, I suppose if it's an absolute flop, maybe they would, maybe they would scrap it in theory. Yeah. I, there's no way that's going to happen. There, there's going to be enough eyeballs on this show that they're not going to scrap it. So there's a 50 hour show. And, um, you know, the article says they knew from the beginning that was the size of the canvas. This was a big story with a clear beginning, middle and end. There are things in the first season that don't pay off until season five. And the showrunners say, you know, they've mapped out the, the show in full. We even know what our final shot of the last episode is going to be. That was the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what you, like that was what part of what made Breaking Bad so good. Yeah, exactly what I thought of. And a lot of the people in the writer's room are from. Breaking Bad and Better Breaking Call Saul, Bad, which yeah. that was the first piece of news I ever heard that just got me so excited because yeah. those are my favorite shows. I didn't know Breaking Bad had been planned out. Yeah, it, 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 it had been planned oh, out. Right. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure it had, but you can even see it just in the way it's wow. developed. Like like Michael said there, how they, they they weren't really so concerned about, you know, just having this high pace, get get eyeballs in. It's all It was all like season one was so like, pensive and getting like really like making like fleshing out those characters and the it tone. just exactly and like there's other tv shows that you can see like i mean uh i don't know if you guys have ever watched blacklist but basically it's just <laughs> some kind of fbi type show and i mean there's an ongoing backstory and just, you know there's that's just one example there's loads of these types of shows where 
there is an ongoing backstory, but then they have just their week by week different kind of like, you know, um, different bad guy comes in and they have to deal with that. And it's, you can just see by like, I, I remember I enjoyed, I watched the first few seasons of that show and I thought, oh, this is really good. But as it goes on, you can just see they're just, they're just making it up as they go along. You're like, okay, clearly this is not, <laughs> how they sent like out Dexter. five seasons ago like Dexter as well those exactly another example of like they didn't expect to have five seasons and so it is mm. if as a show creator I'm sure that's such a relief to say okay and I think they described it as a 50 hour movie as well just like to have that freedom to know that you can you know it doesn't matter as you said how season one goes it doesn't matter if it's so slow that you know that eventually that's going to pay off in the end and the way they said that as well about we have things that don't pay off until season five that are set up in season one. Again, as a lover of Breaking Bad, that's uh, something that really uh, made me feel good about it as well and maybe feel uh, at peace, I suppose, as well. I don't know. For me, I'm yeah, I'm generally positive mm. about most things, but I think all of these little things, these little details are making me feel a lot more encouraged about all of it. Yeah. And it's just a general yeah. trend in, in TV, right? I mean, the old-fashioned sitcom is you have a kind of a, a concept a setting or, you know, the characters have the relationships um, and then you can just create all kinds of little fun plots within that relationship. But that never really changes. And the characters never really change. They go through whatever they go through in that episode. And the next episode, they're in exactly the same place. I'm, I'm thinking of like old fashioned sitcoms, like, you know, the Brady Bunch or even like friends, you know, there's not really, hmm. I mean, there are some arcs, I guess, but generally speaking, like think of the Brady Bunch one of the kids loses their bike and it's all about that. And then, but then the next episode starts and everyone's happy again. They're still the Brady bunch, you know, sure. then fast forward TV has gotten so much better now and breaking bad, you know, they didn't just say, okay, well we don't know if we're going to get canceled. So we'll really quickly get through this idea. Okay. He's got cancer. So that's why he's, you know, becoming a, a, a drug kingpin. And now he's a drug kingpin and he's got some like enemies. He's got to defeat. And every episode there's like a new enemy or every season there's a new enemy. So they just sort of create some vapid sure. arc. That's not what it was about. It was about seeing, and I forget the the exact quote, but like just this mild mannered chemistry teacher turn into like the greatest villain you could ever imagine over the course of these seasons, and really digging into that evolution, and that being what the show is about, not just and how you can sympathize with that villain as well. Yes, right, right. That's that's, so, that's a big point for me. So hopefully we'll all be sympathizing with Sauron by the end of the Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Well, are you guys ready to look at these uh, images? Uh, I wanted to just make one. I wanted to. I, w- I wanted to make one comment, which was that uh, another thing that I saw in the article, which was not a quote from either of the showrunners. It was a. It was written by the the author of the article, and mm-hmm. he said something about um, the forging of the nineteen rings, and uh. I was wondering, has he miscounted or? Uh, <laughs> Are we not going to see I, the forging of the One Ring? Or uh, I think I would have what, to pull up like the quote a hundred years later. But I do remember what you're talking about, and I think it's I think it was in reference to the rings that Celebrimbor forged, which he only forged nineteen. Okay, that's, I, I yeah, think that's true. But oh, maybe, maybe. But I, I, I don't remember. I, I, I just it's it stuck out in my mind when you mentioned uh, we might not even see the the forging of the rings in in season one or something like that. I remembered reading something about seeing nineteen rings. I was like, hmm, that looks strange to me. Maybe maybe they were speaking about Keller Brimbor, and that would make sense. There was also another quote by J D Payne, um, which was quite inspiring as well. He said, "In 
talking about Tolkien, he said in his letters, Tolkien talked about wanting to leave behind a mythology that left scope for other minds and hands, wielding the tools of paint, music and drama. We're doing what Tolkien wanted. As long as we felt like every invention of ours was true to his essence, we knew we were on the right track. So, yeah, I would love to see like a sit down interview with these uh, showrunners, because especially from everything I'm hearing from Matt from Nerd of the Rings, he seems to be obsessed with them. And uh, they sound like a great bunch of lads and they know what they're doing and they're very confident in what they're doing as well. I like the way they're not trying to like underpin anything. They're like, uh, we'll see how it goes. They're like, no, we, we know we're on the right track because we're doing what Tolkien would have wanted us to do. So they're they're not like pre-apologizing for anything they're they, they fully believe in themselves so let's hope it translates to the screen another another quote from the from the article as well said that the show sought to lean into practical effects rather than computer wizardry which again as well is yes to my ears. Right. and again yeah, uh, like i mean we, i think we saw the first example of this in the release of the the title of the series when we saw that rings of power uh sequence and then within 10 minutes of it being uploaded, everybody was on its case saying this CGI is terrible. And then like one hour later, they released the actual uh, practical effects of it being yeah. shot where it qu- quickly got those people to sit down yeah. and uh, stop complaining. So um, yeah, um, again, as we said, that's really, really, that's the difference for me between Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies that leaning into those practical effects a little bit yeah. more really kind of mm-hmm. just takes it that little, it takes it to the next level. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, I think let's just sort of start off with a bang. The, the image and the cover that got probably the most attention right now, we're looking at Morphid Clark and there, and just as a preface for, for anybody who doesn't actually know that, know this yet, there were three covers. You could get three different versions of the magazine with different covers. One uh, with Morphid Clark as Gladriel, one with Durin and Disa, um, you know, the Dwarven King and Queen and one of the Harfoots. And uh, this one with Galadriel here, she's in full armor regalia. She's got a, she's got a dagger in her arm. She's got a huge, massive sword on her back, and she's crouching and kind of like, uh, she's man spreading a little bit. Uh, I guess is the <laughs> for this particular pose. And uh, you know, let's just start there. The the pose seemed to tweak a lot of people. Um, and I'm curious about Dave. What was your? Did you have a reaction to to this cover, this pose, um, all of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I really liked the look of it initially. I did see a lot of people saying, oh, this is so unladylike the way she's man spreading. I haven't heard that term in a while, but um, I think I think it's cool. Like all power to her. I think the sword is pretty dang big, but I kind of have a feeling that, you know, these um, cover photos have been heavily edited. So I don't know if that's really what the sword length is going to be, but it could be. I don't know. Uh, I have to say I love her armor in it. I think her armor looks really cool and it looks way less kind of, um, not CGI, but like less flush. It's more gritty. It's got holes in it. It looks cool. Her hair is kind of messy and all over the place, so it's not really like the Galadriel we're used to. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely leaning into the warrior vibes here. But the biggest thing that's weird about this cover photo is Batman Returns. I don't, she doesn't look like Batman. um, Yeah. (laughs) Right. That was the weirdest thing to me about seeing this. Yeah. Where's Danny DeVito? Yeah. I I mean, I guess I'll just jump in. I, 
so this um, the armor that she's in, and we're gonna see another image of Galadriel here in a little bit. All the basically all the images we've seen of Galadriel are kind of of the the same thing. She's pretty much wearing this ar- armor all the time, and so they've found a way to give us several images of Galadriel without telling us a whole lot that's new. The the next image that we see is is her in the same setting that we saw in the sort of teaser trailer where there's an elf and the snow troll comes out. So in that cave. So actually this picture I think is also, it looks like it was probably taken in that cave or on a soundstage designed to look like the cave. Mm. But in all these images, we've seen her in this armor and I like you, Dave, I really like it. Like the, the male is extremely fine um, and detailed the gloves are really detailed. I mean, maybe a little too detailed. They have, <laughs> like, you can see the fingernails, <laughs> like there's armored fingernails. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Batman's nipples. Yeah. Yeah. But so I think if I were to imagine, like, you know, the Noldor should have some awesome armor, you know, really, really well made. And this kind of fits the bill totally. for me. I mean, it's a little dark. Like, it's very, very gray. So the, the coloring is very gray. But I'm okay with that because, like, it. You know, it's not going to be like burnished and green, you know, all the time. She's traveling. She's on the road. So I think it should be a little bit scuffed. You know, she's been on the road. She's been battling orcs. Um, I, I do have a theory about the sword, this like mega sword. In the first, either the first or the second Vanity Fair article um, that came out, there was a comment from the showrunners that said, Galadriel carries around a broken sword or a sword that's broken from killing so many orcs. Now at the time I assumed it was like the sword had been notched or something like that, like not fully broken because why would she carry around a fully broken sword? But um, now I'm wondering because if, if this sword were not broken somewhere on the blade, it would make no sense for her to be sitting like this because the sword would be like, you know, three feet of the blade would be in the ground. Um, I think it works because yeah. I think this sword must be broken. And I think she's carrying it around. Maybe it's actually um, some sort of heirloom, like her brother's sword. Her brother Finrod dies in the first age, and that's part of what's fueling her, like, you know, vengeful. She's on this vengeful hunt for orcs um, because she believes they're still out there and they're, you know, responsible for his death. So I think maybe this could be like Finrod's sword or or some heirloom. Um, So that would, that's kind of, that's my pet theory on the sword. I like it. I like it. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, a lot of people got really frustrated when they saw that handle and people were, you know, saying it was almost cartoonish how huge it is. And it is a massive handle. And and you're, you're right, Michael, that if that if the blade is anything to, anything to go by in terms of the ratio of the handle, it would be like sunken well into the ground. Uh, but also we need to remember that elves are not humans and the laws of physics don't apply to elves the same way that they apply uh-huh. to men. <laughs> so I think that a female elf would be able to like would be strong enough to wield a huge sword i would have no problem thinking about that as well so i mean either way i like your theory as well that's the first time i've heard that i think that's really cool um but yeah i as i said if i saw a female galadriel like a female elf like galadriel holding this monster sword that looks like it should be uh by uh, Geralt of rivia uh i would have no problem seeing that i think i'd be i'd be all for it but in terms of other things as well, I also heard uh, Nat from uh, Nat, uh, Matt from Nerd of the Rings talking about some of the visuals that they that they saw in uh, the the twenty minute clip that they that they got to see, and he said that one of the main things that stuck out to him was the uh, they got to see real close ups of the armor and the materials and the clothes, and that he said that 
comparing it to something, for example, like the the Wheel of Time, where we saw everybody was wearing these kind of like clean garments that were kind of just bland and looked like they could have been bought in like Zara. Uh, all of these things are so incredibly detailed and they're all kind of scuffed up and like, you know, they've got uh. little scratches and marks like the wear and tear. So uh, he said that like, you know, that was something that was really reassuring for him as well. In, in like he obviously couldn't go into detail with what he saw, but he said that that was one thing that he was allowed to uh, reveal and that it was uh, really cool. And yeah, uh, her armor is is awesome. There is one other, uh, I think maybe she takes off that chainmail. We can see the, the kind of breastplate that she has underneath that we see in a couple of images, especially in the first one that was revealed where we saw the close-up of her hands holding mm-hmm. that dagger. You can see it had these kind of like curved, uh, I don't know, just lines. And again, just really, really detailed and really beautiful armor. So um, that's something that, again, I think also if you watch, if you go back to just the, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies and you see Sauron's armor, uh, if you actually just zoom in and look at his armor, there's so many like d- little details yeah. on his mask and stuff that sometimes you don't really see on the first watch. But again, Sauron is one of the greatest craftsmen of all time. Uh, so right, it makes right. sense that he would have incredibly beautiful armor showing off almost like, look at my skills of the armor that I can make. And so I think the Noldor would be similar as well, saying like, we're not going to just wear any armor. We're going to have the most beautiful armor that we're going to, kill you and then let you be envious of our craftsmanship at the same time and teabag you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, like there's a but, close-up shot in the prologue of sauron holding his like gauntlet you know and it shows just his hand and you see the ring mm-hmm. and like you see that his gloves i mean he's got like finger covers like really delicate finger covers and i was thinking to myself when i noticed that i'm like man i really want some pieces from sauron's jewelry line you know i would i would uh yeah. I'm not into jewelry, but I could I could get into it. Totally could, totally good. So I'll I'll say one last thing about you know the the pose, which I think, for better or for worse, got a lot of attention. Um, you know, the way she's sitting. For those people who are audio only and haven't seen it, she's sitting on sort of a box. Um, her her arms and her shoulders are, or uh, her elbows are like perched on her knees, and she's kind of like leaning forward. Um, and people said, well, this is kind of a manly way to sit. And this isn't the lady of Lorien that I know. This isn't Galadriel. Oh, this is, you know, woke, blah, 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 woke garbage, blah, blah, blah. People complaining about it and using that stupid phrase. Um, and, you know, I'll just say whether or not Tolkien would appreciate this, this pose, I think I agree that he wouldn't like this pose, but not because it's not ladylike. I think he would think this pose isn't, wouldn't be dignified for anybody. <laughs> You know, I don't think you'd like it if a man was sitting like this, but beyond, you know, and my only complaint is like it, the pose, it feels like a modern pose. Like it doesn't feel like a pose that anyone in like a medieval time period would. I mean, I'm sure that people sat like that, but it feels like like a gangster pose a little bit. I, th- I think we shouldn't really assume that this is also taken from a clip from the series. This just looks like they had a photo. I was going to say that. And they yeah. said, you know, stand this way, you know, hold your sword. And so it's like. I definitely don't think that we're going to see Galadriel do this at any point in the series where she's just sitting staring. She's looking directly at the camera. like So, yeah. So I think we need to realize that as well, that this is a cover shot for uh, a magazine. And I think it was shot in that way as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we need to worry about the pose uh, in in that sort of a sense. And there was a lot made about, and and you've, you've touched on it there about people saying, oh, this is some woke garbage and this is nothing like the lady that we've seen the lady of Lorien. i'm i mean we know that galadriel is roughly like she could be three and a half thousand to like six thousand years old in this series like somewhere around there 
And so people are saying like, you know, she's not this young, brash, uh, out of control teenager or something. She is very old at this point. But I, I don't think we should take it for granted that uh, a 4,000 year old being won't develop when they are 8,000 years old as well. I think that there can be a transition there. And so there's nothing wrong with saying that she acted differently 4,000 years before or, you know, I, I mean, obviously she's not. And now there was a quote in the article that said, uh, I think it was from Morphe Clark. She said, oh, Galadriel, you know, she still has a lot to learn and she hasn't seen it all yet. So don't expect the same character. Now, I don't really right. agree with Morphe there when she's saying, oh, she hasn't seen it all. I think she probably has seen right. pretty much all that you can see at that time. But there's still nothing wrong with developing that character more or that character growing. I think that we're not immortal beings, so we can't imagine. It's not like, oh, she's 4,000, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks and that kind of thing. I think 4,000-year-old uh, elf can definitely be like, oh, well, I'm going to develop my character and I'm going to learn new things and I'm going to uh, maybe settle down a little bit in a few years. So I've no problem with this, you know, slightly more aggressive uh, warrior-style Galadriel. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not massively against it. I think, I think it could be quite cool. I 100% agree that she should not be the same Galadriel that we see in the Third Age, um, that there should be some amount of development. I mean, just think about what has happened to her character entering the, the Second Age. You know, she, the War of Wrath has ended, her brother is dead, it, basically all of her family is gone, and all the Noldor have returned except for her. I think the canon version is the ban was not lifted as to her, so she had to stay behind or she chose to stay behind. Either way, um, that is very significant so something's going on there you know her, her family's gone um, most a lot of her people have left and she's stayed behind um, in middle earth and in the like six thousand years that happened that transpired between the start of the second age and the end of the third age like that's where a lot of the weariness sets in i think like the true fading and the weariness starts to happen and so by the time we see her in lord of the rings she is pining for valinor she wants to return she's tired of middle earth a little bit um at this point you know, mm-hmm. this is canon. She is not ready to, to go back. She, that weariness has not set in. And so she should be different. Now, whether you think that this is the different version of her that is correct, you know, maybe your headcanon is different um, and you don't like the, the hardcore warrior aspect of it. I mean, we can agree to disagree or we can we can all disagree about that. We'll all have our own nuanced version in our head. Um, but the, the fact is there should be something different about her. So I am game for them to kind of explore that and if they're choosing to go the warrior collateral out like i can get behind that you know this would be as long as it's an interesting and nuanced character which it seems like it will be yeah it could be really really good totally so let's get a little more galadriel here this one you know we see the cameras and uh i saw someone say online this is this is bullshit there aren't cameras in middle earth <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> not in the second age they but didn't come is... until years later. <laughs> right that's that's a seventh age invention, um, but no. But this is just her holding a torch in, in the caves, and I don't think there's anything new here. The only thing that really stands cool, out to though. me is, you know, the hair. Can we talk about Gladwell's hair a little bit? This is not. I don't have sure. a problem with her hair, but in my mind's eye, because a lot of what people are interacting with here when they see these images is like what they imagine in their head and the degree to which it lines up. And I can, I think, I can separate the things that like that are right, like correct, correct, and the things that are just in my head. And in my head. I imagine Gladriel's hair as being like very straight, you know, golden blonde and very like flowing all the time. I kind of imagine like she's always just stepped out of the shower in like a Vidal Sassoon commercial. And, but in all the photos we've had she's of her, this. her hair's like 
kind of cur- <laughs> kind of curly, like kind of kinky a little bit. So I'm I'm sure there's nothing anywhere in the books that like says my version is right or this version is wrong. But I'm just curious. You know, Gladwell's hair is important. How do you guys imagine it? I think you're right. I think that there is somewhere written that Galadriel's hair is very golden blonde and it's not like this uh, mousy, almost brownie blonde kind of color that we've seen so far and kind of, you know, almost dirty. And it's like, I think, uh, I I mean, I'm, I can't give you a direct quote or anything, but I'm pretty sure there was a, like, I mean, this is also one of the reasons why giving some of her hair to Gimli was such a huge deal because her hair was right. one of the things that was really important about her. And uh, yeah, I think it was described as being straight and golden blonde and almost like uh, having this aura, this this shine to it, like like a, a L'Oreal ad or, or something like that. But I mean, again, it's not something that's, it's not, it's not a make or break for me. Yeah, I, I think it says somewhere that it shines like starlight or it's supposed to emit the light of the stars. And I think that was something that Peter Jackson captured so well. And of course, Galadriel isn't so prominent in his movie, so it was much easier to have a big giant light behind Kate Blanchett every time right. she was speaking. And like she just seemed so much more angelic. And um, I think he even went into into depth that he shone lights in her eyes to make it look like there were stars in her eyes. And uh, you can't do that on a TV budget when your main character is in probably every second shot. So, um, yeah, like, it's fine. I think her hair is fine. That was something that Peter Jackson included, the light in her eyes. It actually, Peter Jackson Mm -hmm. said that that was to show that she had seen the light of the two trees, that Mm -hmm. he... uh, If you Beautiful. if you look into Kate Blanchett's eyes in some of the main scenes, the big close-ups, you can see there's kind of these weird, like sparkling images almost. And it's he said that that was that was particularly detailed in order to show that she had seen the light of the trees. So that's a really cool detail as well. Well, and that relates to what's in canon. You know, when Tolkien wrote about her hair, that it was sort of said that her hair captured some of the light of the two trees, and that's part of the story. You know, Fan or her uncle was inspired to create the Silmarils because of her hair, you know, and he asked her for some hair, which she wouldn't give. Um, but he was like, man, her hair like captured some of the light of the two trees. I'm going to do that in a gem. Um, so that is how mm. incredibly beautiful her hair is that it inspired Feanor to right. create yeah. the Silmarils that then, you know, led to all the, the woe and sadness in the, in the first stage and everything that followed. So, um, really, it's not Fanor's yes. fault. It's Galadriel's fault. If Galadriel had just given Fanor or some of her hair, he would have been satisfied. He wouldn't have made the Silmarils, and uh, everyone would be a lot God happier. Damn it, Galadriel. So, <laughs> I blame her completely. Yeah, <laughs> Fanor sympathizer. Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. All right, so let's. So we only get a couple of Galadriel in this magazine, but we get a few, a couple of some trolls. If you guys are ready to move on. And this is one of the other co- covers. Actually, one of the, so there are four covers. There are three that are actually set images or images of real-life characters and one that's a drawing by John Howe, um, sort of a concept art drawing. And I love that they included this because this is a real nod to the diehard fans, some of whom may be a little less interested in what the show looks like and more interested in getting a magazine with John Howe's illustrations on it. And mm-hmm. this troll is, I think this illustration is awesome. You know, comparing it to the picture of the snow troll that we see that we've, that we've seen, I think it's very, very similar. 
it's kind of crazy yeah. how yeah. how right on they got it. And I know a lot of people complained about the snow troll, but I think it looks I think it looks pretty dope. And you know, it's John Howe, so if you like John Howe, you can't complain too much. Yeah, I think um, some of the main issues that people have had with the snow troll is that it kind of seems to tap into more of uh, like modern high fantasy where it's not so humanoid looking like the trolls that we see in Peter Jackson's ones where uh, even all the creatures as well, like the orcs, they were guys in suits or in makeup. They were humanoid and you could kind of relate to them more. And even the trolls, you know, this guy has got eyes on the side of his head. And I think when Peter Jackson went into the Hobbit as well, he did the same thing where there was a lot more orcs where, you know, their arm was like halfway down their side and they had like an ear on the top right, of their head. Right. It was just kind of ha- harder to relate to that kind of creature. But, um, but I, it, this was that when I first saw the troll, I was kind of like, oh, it kind of looks a bit weird. But then when I saw that it looked the exact same as how John Howe, uh, put it down on the page i was like okay well i i love it now <laughs> he's he's convinced me <laughs> and uh i think that was another thing that was released today from the embargo of um of the the london event that went on that they were allowed to announce that john howe actually um rocked up at that event as well and talked to all the, the yeah. guests so that would have been very cool hmm. right and purely intellectually speaking, I mean, it's, sh- I guess it shouldn't matter if we discover that John Howe is the concept designer for the snow troll. Like if you didn't like it the first time, you probably shouldn't like it the second time, but it taps into something that has been bugging me is a lot of people are kind of complaining about what they, the images that they've seen, the concept art that they've seen, as you said, like one of the main complaints is, Oh, this is more modern high fantasy. It feels more like, you know, Harry Potter or that type of thing than, than how we envision Lord of the Rings. But the creative team is like basically the same. I mean, you know, you don't have Alan Lee, but you have John Howe, you have Weta Digital, you have Weta Workshop. I mean, this is the same team that put together all the visual aesthetics that you love from the Jackson films. And yet you're tweaking about the differences. uh, You know, people are tweaking about the differences between what they've seen and the Amazon show. But I'm like, it's, it's the same. And to me, it looks very similar. And we'll get to this with like the Harfoots later. I think there are like a lot of similarities. It doesn't, you know, mm. bug me at all so much. And so I kind of came prepared with the, the, this ice troll to compare it to the cave troll from Jackson's film. But look at the eyes on the side of the okay. head there. The nose is all True. snubbed off. So like there, there are some similarities. I'm going to just, I'm just going to like jut in because I don't understand this argument at all about how, because maybe it's got eyes on the side of his head that it's going to mean it's more high fantasy. I mean, Look look at animals that we have on planet Earth, like a crocodile, and its eyes are like wide. It's like you can be like, ah, oh, that crocodile is high fantasy or something. It's like <laughs> it's not like what does it have to be humanoid in order for us to be able to relate to it? I don't understand that argument. Fair enough, maybe orcs and things like that that are similar in their shape and like maybe they're obviously because they're like originally supposed to be twisted and tortured and mutilated, uh, either elves or men. That's debatable. But uh, trolls, I mean, they're just these weird monster things that exist. I've got absolutely no problem believing that, you know, as long as they're not just doing crazy magical Harry Potter spells and stuff, I don't see how it uh-huh. can be a high fantasy. So, I mean, I've got no problem with all. And also the fact that John Howe is involved is, uh, you know, incredible. And I mean, I don't think anybody's going to have a negative thing to say about that. And the fact that, as you said there, the similarities between how they got that so spot on with John Howe's drawing 
should bode well going forward as well that hopefully that's he's going to be setting the benchmark and they're going to be just you know doing what john howe says and that's uh whatever john john howe says should be should be done so i'm happy about that yeah although i will say and and i love john howe i love his aesthetic and i love what we got with with jackson but one thing that i've always kind of harped on on the podcast and otherwise is there are other artists (laughs) out there that have great versions of of tolkien and um people approach the visual aesthetics of Jackson's film as if they're like the Bible, you know, because they, they are good and they're wonderful and I love them, but th- they treat them as like canon. And so if, if your visual style of illustration or, you know, graphic design or whatever, if the result is not the same as Jackson for a lot of people, that's um, sacrilege, but I take a very different approach. I actually wanted to see a very, different visual style i like weta and like it does make me feel confident that the product will be good but i kind of wanted something more different it makes me a little it made me a little worried and sad when i heard that it was like kind of all the same team because i'm like all right i guess peter jackson's visual vision for uh middle earth that's the only middle earth i'm going to ever see on the big screen in my lifetime you know we're not going to get a very different version I don't. I don't think so. I think that yes, for this series, I think it's going to be very similar, and they're going to be pulling from Jackson's uh, ideas and from John Howe and from the the artists and the illustrators that went before. But I think that this series is going to spark a whole you know renaissance of maybe spin-offs and like you know we we've already mentioned the the War of the Rohirrim that anime series or that anime movie is going to be coming out, and again, it looks like that anime movie is going to be going in a similar vein to that that illustrations before but I definitely think that mm-hmm. there's going to be room for you know I want to see a balrog that's just maybe a foot taller than a, a normal man you know that right. you've seen in some images mm-hmm. before where, where they're just kind of like big fiery men kind of things uh without wings uh so I mean I think uh I think there's there's I think we're going to see different people's approaches going forward maybe not in the next five years or so but i think this is going to lead to a whole almost the way star wars has gone now where every year you're getting a couple of different spin-off series or that's what i believe is going to happen and i believe that you know there's going to be different creative uh decisions made as well i hope so i hope so are you guys ready to move on to the next batch let's do it yeah how many different phantoms can you love at once at four cats boutique there is no limit Katie and Jordan have prints, bookmarks, stickers, earrings, keychains, and more for all of our beloved fandoms. Get yourself a set of Lord of the Rings bookmarks, one special for each in the trilogy. Maybe some Hobbit Hole earrings, a Wheel of Time sticker, or some Star Wars blueprints of a TIE Fighter and an X-Wing. You can even find prints for the Legends of Zelda, like Majora's Mask or the Master Sword, Dune, Marvel, Game of Thrones, The Witcher, the list goes on and on. So head over to Four Cats Boutique on Etsy to get something for yourself or a loved one from almost any fandom you can think of. That's the number four and cats with a K. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. So I think, uh, so we got a lot of shots of Arendir. So let's, this is one of the first teaser images that was released. We're looking at Arendir, Arendir oh, so on the top cool. of some sort of tower awesome. looking out over this landscape. And this shot is just incredible, right? I mean, how can Beautiful. you... I don't think yeah. anybody's complained about this shot, and if they have, they're really dumb because it's it's gorgeous. You know, it's, <laughs> I can't imagine something more Tolkienian. Johnny, what was your reaction to this? Just what you said. Uh, it's it's stunning. I I love it. It feels. I mean, just 
I love there's something about a mountain range where you can just see the layers on the right hand side I love those just getting like mistier and mistier as they go on I, I absolutely love that they look um you know I don't know they just look incredible but then also just those deep valleys it kind of reminds me of uh the encampment before the the battle of the Pelennor fields where uh they're kind of amassing the armies and Theoden and the guys are looking out at the at the, the 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 tents and the basically the troops arriving that kind of high area looking down on these lush green fields and i can imagine an entire like rohan army kind of charging through those fields so um it looks just yeah stunning uh, it's beautiful and uh, i don't think there's been any landscape images that i've disliked even the ones with the antler men i i loved the the landscape shot of mm-hmm. that i mean again another thing <laughs> that got antler a lot man. of sort of negativity towards it I don't know what people are calling them online, but uh, yeah, those antler dudes. Uh, <laughs> like the, the the camera was beautiful. Like it, it comes from down low, swings up, and you get these view of these little antler dudes. And then it, the, the camera mm. keeps going up and you get this huge wide landscape shot. And every landscape shot I think I've seen so far has just been stunning. And that's one of the things that really brings home that Middle Earth feel and those New, Ze- New Zealand shots. Uh, yeah. Who, who can dislike them? Yeah. Um, I really think that we need to see more of that or sorry we need to see those kind of shots in the the series itself and i really i really hope that they're not just like a a post this isn't just going to be a poster that you can take home uh, and we're not going to see these Mm. amazing shots because and i hope they're keeping them back from the trailers and they're just saving it for the actual launch itself uh, but yeah, this image is so cool, and I love hearing people speculate about where it is. And I don't know. Do you, do you guys have any idea? I've heard I've heard different things. I've heard of uh, more. Some people think that this might be Mordor, or like on the right hand side, <laughs> some of the mountains yeah. outside of Mordor. Um, Austin Edel as well for uh, Eregion, um, different places. So I've no idea, but I just think it looks badass. Yeah, I've I've heard a different. A few different theories, and I just feel like you know, good luck to you if you're trying to speculate what this is, because it could be a lot of different yeah. places. I really have no freaking idea. I mean, the people who say it's, uh, I've heard people say, so we can zoom in here. You see a little like bit of something that looks like a maybe a more lake, of a body of water, um, or like you know marshes. So maybe this is marshland. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't see like, you know, I don't see the dead marshes there. That's what some people were suggesting. Um, some people were saying they saw body of water out here i don't think you can tell that that's what it is but they were saying if that's a body of water maybe that's the sea of rune which would definitely place this in a certain part yeah. of middle earth but i don't think i i don't necessarily see that um one thing i notice is there's you look down here and all this land is very cultivated you know you see lots of roads it looks like farmland yeah. you know almost modern farmland it's subdivided into plots almost you know there's a river going through which isn't exactly a canal system, but they could, you know, draw water off to to do a lot of farming. So if this is Mordor, um, it is definitely Mordor before Sauron's got his hands on it, and which I guess they could be doing if they're doing a lot yeah. of time compression, and they're choosing to start off in a place. Before All right, Mordor. Sauron hasn't put his roots down yet, so this hasn't been tainted yet. I, I suppose that's possible. But then, what's this tower? Um, because I don't mm. think. You know, there weren't any Gondorian towers uh, on the borders of Mordor yet because Gondor isn't a thing yet. It could also be Numenor. I mean, you know, that could be looking out. That could be the sea in the in, in the in the background. Um, well, that would be interesting 
Because that would mean Arendir is in Numenor for some reason. I mean, who knows? <laughs> right, right, right. But <laughs> I definitely, I definitely think that this tower is Numenorian. Um, right. Mm, I, it I, looks I, it. There are some references. Um, I think in the Silmarillion, uh, the 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 Calabeth, you know, the chapters that talk about Numenor. Let's say the Numenorians were more likely to build towers, you know, high towers. That was a very like mannish thing to do. And the elves would build beautiful things and beautiful buildings, but they weren't all about <laughs> big towers, which is like, you know, <laughs> if you imagine like a tower being like a phallic symbol, a symbol of ego. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if this is like a big tower, oh, look at that guy's is, huge you know, tower. <laughs> <Norian>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it could be, you know, it could be elvish. You know, you see the the tiles here and the the swoop of the arches, um, the engraving on the sides of the arches. I mean, yeah, the sides of the arches. That it kind of looks like uh, like floral kind of designs or maybe tree like branches and such. So that would be kind of elven. But and, and see, even the kind of railing that kind of looks like leaves and such. But I don't know. That's true. It's it made of stone, wooden. isn't it? It's hard to know. That's a good point. Well, then you see along the side of the tower, there's these weird pulley things. So there's some functional oh, yeah. element to this tower. Um, I, you know, I imagine we will bigger. see that in action. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you get Arandir aroused, this tower gets bigger. <laughs> but yeah, this this is one of those images that got me excited for sure. And then we get a few more of Iron Deer. You know, here's him holding his sword. Great shot. I love this, you know, version of the Sylvan Elf. He's got his uh, sword holster or scabbard, whatever you call it, and it's carved out of wood. Mm -hmm. His tunic is pretty simple. So there's definitely a very clear design aesthetic difference between the Sylvan Elves and the Noldor, which we'll look at He's having a good listen to that sword anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually posted this uh, picture up on Twitter and, and somebody responded saying that it, someone just responded and said Pinocchio. <laughs> and I had to laugh <laughs> because it just looks like his nose. <laughs> well, yeah, there's other shots of, of this character as well wearing the, the armor, the kind of breastplate. Um, I think we, we might see that later on oh, as well, yeah. actually. So with the kind of nobody knows what what the hell is going on there is it another elf or is it an ent or is it a, a vala and there was that was one of the character posters that were teased the like 22 23 character posters mm. that were like neck down and you could see his breastplate mm. and it had like yeah. a, the face of a looked like a man or something and we speculated and a lot of people speculated that it would it was an ent that was carved into his breastplate so, yeah so we thought as well which would be really dope if that was the case so here's another action shot and here again we see Seventh Age cameras um, in the shot. Mm, seventh <laughs> Age, yeah. But they're they're running from something. Who's that so, running? I don't know. Not a lot to. Maybe they're running <laughs> after something. <laughs> the cameras. Yeah, I assume they're they're running together. Get those cameras. Get those cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's got another sword. It looks like here. This is different than the sword that he was holding before. I think just because of the length. You know, the I, other swords seem yeah, a little bit sh- shorter. Curvy. Not curvy, right? No, I assume this shot is like this same one that we saw from the trailer where he catches the arrow. You know, it looks like he's he's got the same bow. Yeah. It looks like he's in the same oh, forest. Yeah. Um, it looks like yeah, right. um, from the same scene. Uh, uh, so, so maybe they're he, he's running away from all those arrows that were shot at him. But who knows? Well, I, and you raise a good point, and I, this is something I 
alluded to earlier is I think that they are selecting photos from scenes that they have already released photos from. So we're like, we're getting something new, but mm-hmm. it doesn't convey Never. a lot of new information, which is like kind of smart. It's, you know, wetting our palette a little bit, but not, um, they're very aware that people will take whatever images they release, break them down, enhance a million times and, you know, discover any secrets that yeah. they can. So they're just, they're only giving us more of what they've already given us. So here we see, uh, this is the only shot we get from the magazine of Bronwyn and Theo. Mm-hmm. The only, th- you know, I don't know what's going on here. They're looking up at something. They're, they all seem to be like gazing skyward. Uh, I th- My only guess, if we had to theorize, is um, that they are seeing Meteor Man flying through the air. And that that's what they're all looking up at. You know, we saw that shot from the teaser trailer. Yeah. That, you know, this meteor flying through the air and Gilgalad looking up at the meteor. And I bet that a lot of people in Middle Earth see the same thing, right? So we might see uh, a series of shots mm-hmm. of our different characters looking up and seeing this meteor flying through the sky. And maybe that's what this is. I do think, though, that they kind of look like they're all just like standing there looking at something right in front of them. or But like it might be something huge. Uh it kind of looks like they're all looking in different areas. I don't know. The, Theo looks like he's looking a little bit further down than, than uh, our, what's that character's name? The, the Sylvan Elf, I forget. Um, Aaron Deer. But yeah, um, Aaron Deer. Yeah, may, maybe. It looks like there's light on them as well, so it could be something on fire. I know Meteor Man's on fire, but um, it could be just something burning down, <laughs> right. like a burning house or something. It's it's interesting as well that Aaron well, Deer's holding his broken sword also. Oh, that's what that What's is. He oh, okay, like he's holding the just the the, the the scabbard. Is it? Is that what it's called? Or is this is this the sword that we saw? We saw another image of Theo holding this broken sword. This like twisted. Yeah. Oh, black that metal same one that sword. people that people thought might have been might have been Girthang that people thought or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because looking at, it, I couldn't make it out what it was, and it kind of it almost looks like you know Aaron just holding a remote control, and they're all staring at the TV while he's flipping through the channels. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. Put on Meteor Man. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, I had it. I had it. Oh, I, would, I think it was back when channel. Uh, oh, I lost it. Crap. My only thought from that image was that Aranger's hench and he's he's a big dude. <laughs> like, I he's mean, a sexy it's man. the first time we've it was the first time we've seen him standing <laughs> in like a group of other people and he's just like towering above them and he's, you know, he's he's a big guy. So uh, I don't know. It looks like he's uh, a powerful powerful elf so um yeah i i had the opposite reaction really <laughs> he's only like a few inches taller than bronwyn and he's like two inches taller well, than that's this true. little kid and a I woman know, i just thought he looks big in that shot i don't know for he, know he is the tallest one in the shot so he, he is the tallest one in the shot but like, just like <laughs> considering that it's a kid they're all hobbits. And, uh, <laughs> but i don't know what we can make from this but you know Theo's tunic has some sort of patterns and designs on it. So I think we're looking at sort of a, you know, maybe this is a a human civilization or or a managed civilization that doesn't have written language yet. They're still using hieroglyphs. Um, And we saw, and we'll see this later with the Harfoots, you know, scrolls that, that have something that looks more like hieroglyphs on them. Um, So instead of like letters or an alphabet, Mm. it's something that's a little more hieroglyphic in nature. And so maybe there's a, a kinship or a shared history that's being alluded to by the you know the hieroglyphs that are on his tunic, and then we see the same thing with the Harfoots. Yeah, I've never actually noticed that before on his tunic, but that's interesting. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of this for the first time. You know, really zooming in 
but you know, I yeah, like we get a very very simple rustic, um, Manish civilization here. You know, juxtaposed against, mm-hmm. you know, Arandir seems relatively simple compared to the Noldor, but compared to these folks, Arandir looks like you know an angel, right? Oh my, you know, look at the carving on that breastplate; it almost seems <laughs> unreal. Um, the skill that would be required, right? So you can see the sort of hierarchies of sophistication in these amongst these different groups. And uh, you know the clothing amongst this this group of humans is really really simple. Uh, I think I saw somebody talking about the um, the carving on his on his on Aaron Deer's breastplate, and they might they suggested that it's one of the Valor, and it could be Arome because Aaron Deer is kind of a bit of a hunter, or he's well, he's right. got a bow and arrow anyway, so maybe he's like based it off that. But I I, I want an answer for that. I hope they don't just like. <laughs> pluck him into the show and just be like, this is his armor. I want to know who that man is or that ent or whatever. I, I am. The more I think about it, the more I am just convinced that it is, it is an ent because I mean, this thing's got facial hair, right? Elves don't have facial hair. Generally <laughs> men have facial hair, but yeah. you know, the elves aren't going to be creating breastplates that honor, no. you know, mere mortals. Um, the Valar generally yeah. take the shape of have taken the shape of elves when they're like amongst the elves. So I, it's possible that a Valar would have facial hair. They would choose that. But you know, to the extent that their likeness, their visage is similar to that of elves, they probably wouldn't have facial hair. So the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, this has got to be an end. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or a female dwarf. <laughs> there we go. There's our dwarfs <laughs> and beards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is one that people have some feelings about. There we go. Celebrimbor. This was one of the last, you know, ones that was teased before the magazine actually dropped. People had feelings about this, and I had feelings about this. You know, we're looking at Charles Edwards, who's an older actor, most recently uh, known for his role in The Crown, where he did a really great job. He's like 52, 53. He's his real-life age. He's standing here um, as Celebrimbor in some sort of a green, I don't know, nightgown with a brown belt. <laughs> Um, more people disliked it than liked it. Uh, I think most people didn't have a good reaction to this. Um, Dave, what did you think? I think, uh, yeah, the initial shock of just seeing, well, obviously the, the short hair was one thing, uh, but also just the age of him. He doesn't look like what people's headcanon of Celebrimbor would be, where he's he's a smith first and foremost, and one of the greatest smiths. Um, he just doesn't look like he's fit to be in the smithy working on some rings so i don't know i definitely think in the in the next picture that we'll see of him when he's at the table he's a lot more youthful looking uh but right yeah i think they first and foremost they try to make him look more political and kind of um pensive than just like some guy that's working down in a smithy and yeah i think from playing those shadow of mordor games uh everyone had kind of an idea of what Celebrimbor looked like and it was a built man like really really built and like I don't know handsome long black hair and all those pictures where you see of yeah. him you know basically crucified on those poles he's supposed to look kind of Christ-like <laughs> so I don't know um I'll definitely get used to it I, I I think the initial shock was a lot to take but now I'm like ah oh, yeah He's, he can be Celebrimbo for me. And I'm, I hope at some point in the series, he just like rips off that old lady dress and he's like, I'm actually hench underneath. <laughs> now let's go make some rings. 
It's like that scene in The Naked Gun when Leslie Nielsen has some sex scene <laughs> yeah. and it shows like his head and then it shows like from the from the neck down and it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger body or something. <laughs> I hope that. Yeah, happens. they better do that. Yeah, that would be so be funny. <laughs> but yeah, because there's that famous drawing image of uh, Keller Brimbor, that one where he's he's holding up the ring and he's looking back and he's got his, his black long hair, yeah. he's holding a hammer and he's shirtless and he's just got pecs for days <laughs> and you're kind of going, this, I've seen, like I've known that image for so many years and now suddenly it's like, oh, well, okay. This is a new Why new is he shirtless? So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, why yeah. is he shirtless? <laughs> they, were, they couldn't make a shirt that would fit him. Tolkien would be rolling in <laughs> his grave. <laughs> Tolkien wanted his Celebrimbor shirtless. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I've no problem with his gown thing that he's wearing at the moment. I think it's quite nice. It's definitely nicer than any garment I I own. So uh, it's definitely it looks beautiful. Like you know, Elvin. It looks very comfy. Uh, he's in his you know leisure wear. He's probably wearing a pair of slippers as well as that match. So he's just, <laughs> he's just chilling in his in, in his chilling in his gaff before he goes hits hits the bed. I suppose. So yeah. I've no problem with what he's wearing. But again, yeah, it's quite striking when you first see him, like his age and his short blondish sort of hair it is quite striking mm. but i think again like dave said i could definitely i could get used to this in a couple of episodes and I, it won't throw me off completely um but yeah again not a not a deal breaker for me but i was a little bit confused when i first saw it well and that image that you're that drawing that you're talking about is one of the most widely circulated photos now on the internet for keller brimbor like if you google keller brimbor it's one of the things that come up you know and he is very muscle bound. Mm. But I always looked at that and was like, ah, that doesn't seem right to me because all the descriptions of elves that Tolkien ever gave us, you know, even though they are like superhuman in strength, they're always very lithe. You know, um, the idea of a jacked elf doesn't really feel right to me. Um, <laughs> even if they are working in the smithy, you know, they have built in super strength. They don't, you know, I don't think pounding a hammer is really going to work up their muscles all that much. So um, mm. I'm okay with him not being jacked. This gown, though, it just it took me spun me for a little bit of a loop because it just it's poofy. It reminds me of uh, I don't know if you guys have watched Seinfeld, but there's an episode where he wears the puffy shirt and he goes on a talk show and it's like a puffy pirate shirt and everybody makes fun of him and he feels ridiculous. <laughs> this is that puffy shirt, you know, it's poofing out here at the sides. I don't know. I like this. Like puffy. I'm for it. <laughs> it's puffy, but it is. It's I mean, the, the embroidery is very nice look at this around the neck you know you got very it's deliberate gorgeous. designs here there's some sort of mm. i haven't heard anybody speculate as to what these designs mean or if they have a particular meaning but it seems to be some sort of sigil or symbol that's embroidered in here because uh, you see it repeated a few times oh so yeah I'm the meaning is there it looks like rings and wonder is it rings uh That'd be too on the nose. Well, it looks maybe. like leaves, maybe. But I mean, within within like the leaves, it kind of looks like there's a, a layer of rings just going in a circle around his neck. Well, and the you know the hole for his neck that's circular, so maybe that's that's a ring. <laughs> his, his nostrils are circular too. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> yeah. It was right there. It was right there. We should have seen it. But the black hair does get me, um, or the lack the lack of black hair, because that is something that it's one of the few physical characteristics that Tolkien definitely gave us about the Noldor is that they generally all had very dark, dark brown hair. black hair. Um, now, Celebrimbor yeah. wasn't specifically referenced as having 
dark hair, I don't think, anywhere. But generally speaking, there wasn't a lot of variety in terms of hair color that was ever discussed. So Noldor is supposed to have dark hair. The only reason Galadriel ha- doesn't have dark hair and she has light hair is because um, she's not a pure Noldor elf. Her mother is um, of the Vanyar. And she's also got Tellery in her bloodline. I might be screwing up the bloodlines, but she's got the other elven kindreds in her bloodline, which is why she's blonde. So Kella Brimbor should have black hair. You know, short or long, I don't really care about that. And it's one of those things, it's not important to the plot. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, hair color didn't ever affect anything in the stories. But it is one of those things, it's like, it's easy enough to do, and so why not just do it? Because yeah. you know he's probably supposed to have dark hair. You know, so why make the choice of giving him blonde hair or allow? Maybe it's just easier. He doesn't have to wear a wig. He can just use his natural hair, which I'm very jealous of that natural hair on a 50 year old man. I'm 20 years younger, and I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have dark hair, but not so much of it. <laughs> so good for you, Charles Edwards. But um, well done. The the one quote we get in the article about Killebrimbor is that. Quote, one of the central figures in the story is the character of Celebrimbor, played by Charles Edwards. He's an elven smith who was manipulated into helping create the Rings of Power. We're excited to be bringing him to Middle-earth. He's very mysterious. So that doesn't tell me anything mm. I didn't already know from the lore, but it does confirm that they are going to be spending, we are going to be spending time with Celebrimbor. And that was a little bit up in the air. You know, we didn't know, is the forging going to be like in a prologue? Um, are we only going to see him for a couple episodes is he going to die in the first season so he's not important but i think from what we're hearing now we're not going to get sauron in the first season we're probably not going to get the ring forging in the first season or at least not the rings of power mm-hmm. um so we're going to be spending at least a couple seasons with Celebrimbor before he's a goner and i'm very glad to hear that because he is one of the most interesting characters his proximity to galadriel his relationship with her the fact that he forges the rings of power as a result of being manipulated by sauron and he's the only high elven lord that is sort of taken in by him or at least he's the most prominent elven lord taken in by him so that makes for incredibly mm. uh interesting drama or dramatic opportunities um so i'm glad that they're not just going to be you know alluding to him in a couple episodes and then being done with him i'm glad we're going to get a lot of killer Hmm. yeah yeah they said that he was one of the central figures so that is again i hope that's not just some random sentence that they've thrown in without thinking about it for the sake of the article i hope that and that's like i think one of i'd say certainly dave and and my uh one of our biggest uh i suppose worries or concerns is I want this series or we want this series to be about the characters that we know and we hope that they are developed as much as possible instead of making them background characters when it, for a series that's all about the Harfoots or something like that. That would be right. That would be really worrying. And so when we when I read today that the uh, they, when they said one of the central figures was Calabrimbor, that was definitely putting, again, my mind at ease a little bit. So I hope that is true. And I hope that we do get to see his development because he's such an interesting character as well. And yeah, really excited to see more of him. Yeah. So let's look at Elrond now. So we're sort of in the elven chapter of this uh, podcast. Um, We're going to look at all the elves. And here's the shot that we get of Elrond. We've gotten a few other teaser images. um, And I've liked what I've seen of Elrond aesthetically. There's one thing I want to point out. I saw this on Twitter. See, he has this sort of brooch that's pinning up his cloak here. And you see this sort of four pearl, you know, white pearls with a blue gem in the center. Um, Okay, so someone 
connected that with the sigil of Arendil, which is his father, of course. And oh, it looks like I, I didn't download the picture, so I will just say it. Uh, it is. It looks kind of similar to the sigil of Arendil, which would be a neat little <laughs> nod. I mean, um, Arendil, Arendil's obviously gone. He is largely responsible for saving the world. Um, that is a story for another podcast. But it'd be nice if there, you know, the jewelry and everything is designed to allude to these other major characters in the, in the past that are not going to be characters in the mm-hmm. show, but that should, you know, have an effect on uh, the lore and the elven culture. I was just going to say that one of the things that um, uh, that I'm most looking forward to this show as well is it's just all the Easter eggs that they're going to put in, like, for example, little sigils like this or you know, um, background characters or name drops or things that some of the hardcore fans can ha- get little wins out of um, that they don't really need to dwell mm-hmm. on too much, the actual showrunners themselves. And, and this would be a great example if, if it is actually the sigil of his, of his father. But overall, um, I think, again, what he's wearing here is probably what we see him wearing in the trailer, uh, that kind of white getup, which looks pretty cool. But actually, now that I'm thinking of it, I think in the trailer he was in Moria, so or in in Kazadum. So this doesn't look like he's in Kazadum here. It looks like he's in some elven city, because uh, he's looking out a window, and I doubt they have windows in Kazadum. Um, so I don't know, I don't know where this could be. Could this be Linden or? But the other shot that we saw of him, one of the first ones that we saw of him out in like the countryside, he was wearing a kind of, was he wearing like fields, a grey yeah. sort of a cloak thing in the field? So yeah. maybe that's Yeah, I think same, that might be it. Uh, might be the same one, there. yeah. Hmm. So maybe that, that first shot was like him out in the field. He was going for a nice little walk. And then this is, he gets back from his walk and he's... Stares pensively out, kind of going, should I go, should I go for another walk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a great walk. I love that now. I might go for another one. <laughs> yeah. It would be great if all of Elrond's scenes were just him going for walks, thinking about going for walks, talking about yeah. the great walks he's been on. And then he's writing in his diary, went for a walk today. Can't wait for tomorrow's walk. It was walk. nice. Yeah. yeah, the most unimportant character that just doesn't affect the storyline whatsoever. <laughs> right, right. All right, here's another shot. One of the close-ups set. This gave me goosebumps. I mean, this looks perfect to me. Gilgalad, yeah. High King of the Noldor in the Second Age, the golden, you know, leafy crown. He's got this awesome, mm. I mean, this is probably a cape of some kind. Um, you can't really tell in the shot, but um, his, you know, what he's wearing on his uh, torso is, I don't know, looks like he's made out of gold. There's, you close-ups, you see the, they're like pearls, maybe seashells. Um, it's not really a necklace, but it's hanging off of his, off of his cape. Uh, it just looks gorgeous but you know the most important part of the shot is benjamin walker's face you know the look on his face this guy looks like gilgalad to me i mean yeah it it hits the nail on the head you know you can complain about kelebrimbor and elrond not having dark hair but gilgalad's got dark hair he's got long hair i mean he is the prototypical elf that everybody imagines from the jackson lord of the ring era yeah but when you see gilgalad they're so perfect uh it just makes you feel like why couldn't we have had this also for the other characters? Like, why couldn't they look the same? Because <laughs> yeah. it just, that's like, I think everybody that's seen that image, it's like you just said, that's, you're like, yes, you're almost celebrating when you see that image because that's what you wanted to see. So they could have easily done the same thing with with uh, the others, especially maybe Calabrimbor. Um, Elrond, well, again, Elrond as well, I suppose. I mean, it's just the short hair is something that 
it kind of, as I said, it's not a make or break for me, but it just it just kind of bugs me a little bit because, uh, I mean, all my life I've had that image of just these long-haired elves, and so right, yeah. But um, at least we can celebrate the fact that Gilgalad here he looks incredible. I would say that the first thing I thought when I saw this was, man, that crown looks like it really could slice into the back of his ear and like almost take his <laughs> ear off. Um, so I hope he's got some sort of a you know safety feature on it, but. Um, Hope he doesn't do any damage to his ears. <laughs> turn turn the crown you, off. You don't want a wardrobe malfunction with that crown. Yeah. Doesn't he give you some serious Julius Caesar vibes as well? Oh, yeah. And I think there's a sort of a Romanesque aesthetic to a mm. lot of the Noldor elf designs. And we'll see that in the, the next one. This is a, a group shot of the elves. We see Benjamin Walker as Gilgalad putting a, a circlet of golden flowery. I mean, it's made out of metal, I think, but it's designed in a sort of flower crown um, on a female's head. I'm assuming this is Gladriel. A bunch of other elves in really awesome capes and armor sitting around. Mm. This is this is the shot that I liked. One of two shots that I liked the absolute best that we got. And this is just beautiful. There's, you know, we got the sun pe- peeking through the golden leaves from the tree. Mm. I mean. It's gorgeous. I want one of you to tell me that yeah. it's not as great as I think it is. Just, you know, <laughs> tell no. me I'm wrong because it's not doing amazing. it. <laughs> get carried away. Keep, keep, keep getting carried away. Uh, I love it. I love it. So Linden at its finest. Yeah, probably Linden. I don't know what's happening in this particular shot. Um, we did get a leak. The other shot that we saw in the, um, the teaser trailer, a quick glimpse of this kind of this similar scene where it looks like the same spot, but like an aerial view. We were told that this was Gilgalad giving some elves advice as before they depart for Valinor. So I don't know if that's mm. this is a similar ceremony. Um, this is not definitely not the same shot, but this is it looks like the same place. Um, I don't know if it's a similar ceremony or if it's something else. Any ideas what could be going on in this shot, Johnny? How about you? Uh, I've not one, not one idea what's going on here. It looks on, like... give, give us something. Shoot from the hip. Your wildest guess. Um, he's <laughs> he is rescinding the throne and he's saying, "Galadriel, you take power." Uh, that's uh, <laughs> no, uh, absolutely, absolutely no idea. Um, but I mean, I'm 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 not the kind of person that will watch a trailer and try and analyze it to death. So this is kind of a foreign sort of a, a type of thing for me to do because what I really yeah. like to do when I'm watching a series uh, is just I love going in blind and just. Uh, I, I don't want anything that's even going to smell like a spoiler. I just uh-huh. want to go in and get that first initial idea of, I mean, I, I, it's it's kind of wrong now that I'm like, we, we run a, a Lord of the Rings uh, podcast and I'm going to have to at least analyze all yep. these things to death before they come out. It's kind of against my <laughs> nature, but uh, yeah, for me, I'm very happy to see the image him. and take it at its, at its worth and kind of say, this is really cool. I love the visuals. <laughs> I love the colors, but I'm not even going to speculate what could be going on, but I'll leave that to people that are probably better than I am at it. So, Well, the one thing I'll point out, I don't really have any theories either because who knows, but short-haired elf, short-haired elf, short-haired elf, one long-haired oh, elf, one and the rest are short hair. You know, we're talking about all the elves I sitting picked in this up on that. I hadn't picked up on that. Mm. Also, so. they're all wearing the same crown as Gilgalad, or headpiece. Is that kind of weird? The same or similar. His seems a little more pointy-uppy. Maybe. Mm. Um, Maybe. 
But that is kind of weird. Like, yes. why would you? I don't know what. Maybe, maybe what he's wearing isn't a crown. Maybe it's like a ceremonial, like sweatband. Maybe they're all about to depart. Yeah. To go somewhere, <laughs> or maybe he's congratulating them all. Maybe that's like the badge of honor after killing something or someone. Or maybe it's just dress up as Gilgalad Day. And they're all like, <laughs> yeah. doing their best attempt. <laughs> These are all the finalists. <laughs> Maybe it's they're, a they're, big stag do, all... and they all have to go out on the piss, <laughs> and <laughs> they all have to dress up as Gilgalad. Bachelor party for our American friends. Yeah. But this armor, you know, the, the, the armor they're all wearing looks really awesome. The helmets look similar mm. to the helmets we saw the Noldor elves wearing in the prologue of Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, I seem to remember them having some sort of like, I don't know, crest or pommel on the top of the, not pommel, but you know, yeah, something mm. on top of the helmet. Um, I like the giant know, shoulder silver, but. Uh, things that they've got going on, where it's, it makes yeah. that cloak kind of start from a thin, like very often you see these wide cloaks that start from over the shoulders. I like that visual of, it being like a narrow cloak almost. Maybe it's not a narrow cloak and it's, it's cool. just that it's covered, but it kind of yeah. looks cool that it's like star skinny and then works its way out. That's the... Uh, they like put the that. shoulder pads on the outside. It's like the 80s mm. in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Batman putting his underpants on over his trousers. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. These are uh, really, really beautiful looking. I don't know if... The, you know, this has got to be a little more ceremonial. These capes don't look like mm. they'd be that effective in, in real battle. But, you know, elves are elves, so maybe they are able to fight fight in this and look really fabulous while Flaunted. doing it. <laughs> Glorious. All right, here's the next oh, here we go. elven here group we go. shot. Here we oh, go. I uh, love, so they're all sitting around the table. So yeah, Gilgalad at the end. We see Keller Brimbor. I assume Galadriel is here somewhere, though we can't see her. Um, and these lamps that are hanging down are... Totally beautiful. Um, and then at the other end of the table is conspicuously not an elf, but Durin. So I don't know if this is Linden or if it's actually a Region. Um, because I don't know, would Durin travel all the way from Casa Doom to Linden? Maybe. Um, mm-hmm. The leaves on the floor match the leaves in the prior picture. So I, I do think this is most likely Linden. Um, more likely that Durin would travel to see Gilgalad than vice versa. But. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I think uh, until you pointed out the leaves on the floor, I, I thought that this might have been a region. But uh, yeah, they are similar. And I do hope that they make distinctive choices of, or like they make the different elven realms look very different because they should be different. I don't want them to all just look like generic woodland yeah. homes. But um as far as this picture goes, I think it's really cool. Gilgalad is still like maybe he just doesn't know how to smile, but uh he's always got a sour puss on his face. But you you've already yeah, alluded yeah. to the lamps that just the, the lamps are so cool. Uh, I love everything in the background, like behind the table, all the like the, the trees and the steps you can see in the background and even the little lamps going up there. I just love this picture so much. I yeah. really I really just want to be at that um feast i like the way they're all cheersing their glasses as well and gilgalad's just not <laughs> he's he's like no i've had enough <laughs> um but yeah Gilgalad um, looks like doran has just said to him 
Ishkakui Aigru Aigru or something like that. <laughs> so uh, I, I, don't, I don't know why he's not lifting up his glass. But again, I think I, I saw some people online making some big deal about that, like saying, oh, Gilgalad is not cheersing. But I think maybe that's maybe they're not cheersing. Maybe just the lads are just all having a drink at the same time. And uh, Halfway maybe Duran looks like yeah. he's a. Yeah, Duran and. Keller Brimber look like they're sharing a little like sharing a little joke and they're like oh yeah that was a good one and they're nodding but uh yeah but like I mean the three people that we can see their backs to us they don't look like they're lifting glasses either so I mean it doesn't look like yeah true oh Gil, Gil Galad is the only one so I, I, don't, I wouldn't I don't think I wouldn't make anything out of that but in terms of just the overall image yeah it looks incredible those big tall trees in the back on those lamps just the detail this is this is what we this is what we're, we're we we came for, and this is what we're we're gonna come for to watch this series. These details, these yeah. sets, and the characters as well. I mean, that's what we we want to see more of this characters that we know who they are, that we've known for years, we've read about them in the books, yeah. and we want to see them interacting with each other on the live screen. That's what I want. Well, yeah. and I do like making something out of nothing, so I I do like imagining that we're getting a little glimpse into maybe some tensions between the different kingdoms. You know, we know that Celebrimbor and the dwarves of, so the the smiths of Eregion and the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, that was the closest friendship between elves and dwarves uh, in all of history. And so there's a good relationship between these two characters, presumably, and they work together mm-hmm. and they work closely together. Um, maybe Gilgalad doesn't have all the, you know, good feels for the dwarves that, that Celebrimbor does, or maybe he doesn't like a direction that they're going in. So we see, I like imagining that we are seeing Celebrimbor and Durin, you know, toasting to each other. Uh, you know, sharing an inside joke, you know, being happy about something that Gilgalad really is not happy about. Like he's definitely not toasting with them. And uh, like you said, he's got a, a real sourpuss on. So maybe there is. <laughs> and, and one of the other leaks we got is that Keller Brimbor is not liked by everyone. So maybe there's a little Ooh. bit of discontent between Keller Brimbor and Gilgalad. I don't know. Yeah. Perhaps Duran just said something about long haired elves looking like girls or something because the rest of them there are short <laughs> short haired so they could just be like yeah cheers to that and he's like no um the weird the, i just noticed there that the the woman behind gilgalad looks really weird um or the servant that's just like wearing a cloak in front or like a veil in front of her face oh yeah and we saw that in another image that was released between galadriel and elrond that there were female elves like somewhere in the shot that had veils over their face oh yeah yeah i don't know it's kind of it's kind of creepy cool elven style if you're enjoying watch party lord of the rings you really should check out our wheel of time podcast hosted by rourke tharmston rourke is a wheel of time expert and each week breaks down the latest episode from amazon's adaptation of the wheel of time with a panel of brilliant and funny guests who have never read the books if you've already read the wheel of time books This podcast will be fun for you because you'll get to experience the show through the eyes of first-timers. And if you're new to the Wheel of Time universe yourself, then Watch Party Wheel of Time is really perfect because there are no spoilers. That's right. Watch Party Wheel of Time gives you spoiler-free analysis and discussion of each episode. Check it out today, available on every major podcasting platform. Watch Party Wheel of Time. So if if, if you guys are ready to move on to the dwarves, this is the... The third cover we're going to talk about here. This is Durin and Disa. They're holding mm-hmm. hands. They're at a table. There's gold everywhere. And yeah. 
I'll just say I, I like this one just fine. I think this is a perfectly good picture. I don't have any complaints about it. The, the aesthetic of the dwarves that we've gotten has been very consistent throughout, you know, no real complaints. It didn't excite me the way that the past two shots did. Cause those really got me, you know, jazzed up. I was really excited to see those. Um, this is perfectly fine, but it's kind of more of the same. Um, I know you guys have some thoughts about it. So uh, Johnny, why don't you give me what you think about this? Um, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's fine. Uh, this particular image, it like the resolution is not amazing on this image that we're looking at right now. But when we saw it, when I saw it in like its highest quality, it did look like there was a bit of a strange sort of weird sort of Photoshop job going on, on, especially on Disa. I think that Duran yeah, looks like, I think so. He looks normal. I think Disa looks like she's always been like superimposed in on like her eyes or something. It just doesn't look right. very clear compared to how clear Duran's eyes look. So I'm not really sure why that is, but I her mean, look orange. She just doesn't look. She just doesn't look as sharp. Her image for for whatever reason, and I don't know. It just it it, it looks like, um, I don't. It just it just didn't look really. I, I don't know. Maybe it was just to my eye that it didn't look. Uh, no, I thought very, the exact same. Uh, correct. Did you? Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's just one small, small gripe I had about this this image. But in terms of this being one of the covers, I'm very happy because I really hope that we spend a lot of time in Moria uh, or in Casa Doom, I suppose, at that time. And I'm so excited about it. They they also mentioned it a couple of times in the uh, article. They said that one thing that I really, again, I just, I'm really happy when I hear about the detail that people have gone into in terms of researching and preparing for something. And they said that in order to prepare for shooting the scenes in Moria, they explored caves around New Zealand to answer certain questions such as how would you exchange air and how would you channel water in and where would the light trickle in and things like that. So those are the kind of mm, depths that they're that. going to in, in order to try, try and make it feel like it's a real lived in underground city. And I'm, I'm very excited to see Casa Doom in its, in its prime and its peak and just the hustle and bustle of uh, life there. So it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Is there anybody that dislikes the direction they're going with the dwarves? And I say this just because, you know, everyone imagines, everyone I've talked to imagines the dwarves in the same way. Like everything being very angular, you know, boxes, squares, triangles, um, you know, sharp edges, no fluidity to anything. And um, I, I like that aesthetic perfectly fine. I think it is kind of a product of the Jackson movies. Some of the descriptions that we get, you know, in the Silmarillion, which are very few because the Silmarillion is written from the elf's point of view, not from the dwarves' point of view. So we don't really get much about the dwarves. But, you know, the dwarves actually like to, to carve beautiful things. They like to create pillars out of stone that look like trees. You know, we, we know mm-hmm. that some of the, you know, the pillars in Khazar Doom are, are very detailed and ornate and designed to look like trees, right? Rather than these sort of octagonal, really angular columns that we got in, um, the, the Jackson adaptation again, which is perfectly fine, but I always kind of wish that we would see a little bit more of that other aesthetic that is actually described in the books, less angular and more beautiful. Like they like stone, but they also like to carve stone into things of, you know, similar uh, beauty as the elves might enjoy. So. Yeah. Um, yeah I think as well agree. from all the stories that you hear of uh, when you, when you talked there about the, the elves of Eregion being, mates with the dwarves um from Casadun and they actually like teamed up to to build like gems and artifacts and 
what was that crown called for uh, King Thingol? No, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, late. yeah. But I can't remember the name of it. When he joined the Silmaril to... Yeah, the the Nerg, the Noglamir, I think it was. Ah, yeah, um, yeah, there it is. Yeah. So they, like, they were the Nogrim. That they was the obviously, or they, sorry, the dwarves with the Nogrim. So, are they? Right. Makes sense. Anyway, but um, yes. the actual like creating these like beautiful crowns and and such, it always kind of made me feel weird that they designed these beautiful jewels and stuff because I'm so used to Peter Jackson's as you said like octagonal mm-hmm. and square styles but i don't know i kind of i i kind of like it i like looking at their thrones and seeing that tiny bit of consistency and continuity with peter jackson's canon mm-hmm. um because we're not going to get a, it, it doesn't seem like we're going to get a lot of that because it seems like they're changing the the trolls and they're changing the hair of the elves so at least keep the dwarves having squares and triangles and sharp edges uh, I, I like it. I don't have any complaints. <laughs> but one thing we are going to get is dwarven romance. Love is in the Yours. air. Look at these two. Mm. Just Durin yeah. and Disa staring deeply into each other's eyes, being so tender. Um, yeah. Never could like imagine a dwarf being into that. <laughs> but it is nice. Yeah. <laughs> clearly, Disa is going to be a, a very significant character. I mean, powerful in her own right, uh, a counselor to Durin. I, this image seems to imply that, you know, She's listening, or he's listening very closely to her. Um, mm. You see him, Durant, in his hand. He is holding a leaf. This is clearly one of the leaves from Linden. So maybe in this scene, he's discussing what was, or telling her what was discussed at, during oh. his trip, you know, during the meetings. Um, and she's sort of weighing in, weighing in on that. Um, mm. The one thing I wanted to ask about, Dave, what's the deal with these pants are they red rubber spandex pants what's what's going is this rockstar durin i i actually like haven't dead, dead really pants. looked at this yeah yeah i have I, I this is probably the photo i've looked at the least and this is the first time i'm actually seeing the leaf um but yeah those pants they look like they look like snails or like little i don't know do you know that <laughs> creature in what's the movie called oh the road to el dorado if anyone has seen that cartoon and in it there's this little creature that curls up into a ball and they use it as a ball when they're playing their ancient aztec game but that's that's what his knees remind me of this weird little snail like <laughs> creature uh but yeah apart from that, that i don't a know very what, specific what else reference yeah it is a very it's a it's a very <laughs> specific one if anyone if anyone knows that shout out um there's that's not a lot to go cut. on but i i really i really like the look of Duran. um and Disa, actually, I, I love the the look of the two of them. They look great. I like yeah. how I like how Duran's obviously kind of like a magpie, where he's in Linden and he just sees some golden leaves. He's like, "Oh, I love those!" And then he's <laughs> bring, bringing them back to Disa, like, "Look what I got! I got some leaves. They're gold." He's just shoving all the leaves into his uh, yeah, suitcase. Yeah. Are these free? <laughs> this, this is her reaction. Of the shampoo? When is this she free? Finds out all he brought was a leaf. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, we're, we have one more group of photos here to discuss, and I think these are ones that maybe you guys are oh, a yeah. little less keen on. The Harfoots. So this is the first image we're looking at here is the cover of The Harfoots. We got Lenny Henry, um, and we got two other hobbits here whose names I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, Nori was one of them. Nori, yeah. No, right, I can't remember right. Like the, the character. Uh, I, can't, I don't remember the... Nori Brandyfoot or something like that. Just taking uh, yeah. names yeah. from the 
yeah, basically the Shire and smash them together. Whoever Nori is, I know that they said that she's being played by an Australian actress. So I'm I'm wondering oh, Markella, Cal- how her accent is going to come across. She is she going to put on a kind of a I don't know Sam's <laughs> type of accent, sort of uh, over the top, Mr. or Fondle. are we going to have just an are we just going to have an Aussie <laughs> an Aussie Hobbit like so like you know uh, how you going? I think I think well, we uh, heard her doing the voiceover for the teaser trailer so i think that's her voice and she that's her is it yeah okay if, if, if oh, that's, that's her, her she pulled back the uh, australian accent quite a bit yeah hmm. yeah this lenny henry wig is just, uh... <laughs> yeah um like i don't really i think i've gotten more used to it as the days have gone on and i'm trying to find the positives but there's something so there's something so like theatrical about the look of Lenny Henry's wig and the the two girls they just uh-huh. look like they've been dressed for like a, a theater that's about some they look like poor people in a Le Mis uh, um adaption or adaptation <laughs> and and I don't know why they have to have all that stuff in their hair like is it choice or is it to make it 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 just looks like a theater style thing again to make them look like they're rough and they've been in the earth and I don't know it's weird I I want to I want to I want these things to be explained in the show because I'm not just going to take it face value. I I I agree with Dave. I'm not I Dave, I think we spoke uh, a couple of days ago when this first this image first came out and he was quite quite negative <laughs> to this type of image especially <laughs> to to Lenny Henry's uh, hair. Yeah. And I told it 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 looks hilarious. It looks almost like he's got some sort of like a big cloud on his head and he's just sort of <laughs> shaved off a circular thing around it and uh it looks pretty crazy i'm i'm assuming i'm really hoping just that in the series uh we'll get some reason maybe his hair is standing on end because he's just seen a seen an asgull or something or <laughs> uh, i don't know he's mm. just got freaked out but again my yeah my I'm, my worry is that the hobbits or the, the harfoots have made it onto the cover and that's scary for me because i really hope that you know they i hope that they play a small role in the background and maybe they have a nice little story of something but obviously we know that um in the second age they they were bare, they were pretty much unknown completely to uh, yep. the other characters and so if there's any sort of communication between them and the elves for example or the dwarves i right. really I, that's gonna maybe you know uh, grind my gears a little bit, but uh, so we'll see. Again, I'm just it remains to be seen, but yeah, uh, yeah, nervous. I'm nervous for that. I 100% agree with you. I mean, the Harfits are the piece of this that I have long been the most concerned about, just hesitant about because it, it seemed like you talked about this earlier that there's a temptation to include things in the plot or things that look a certain way th- just to trigger nostalgia, and that feels like that's kind of what's going on here it's like a corporate mandated you have to have hobbits in here because people associate hobbits lord of the rings with hobbits so you just have to have them and so all right we're just going to jam some hobbits into the story you know in a story where they really didn't play any role that we know like not a meaningful role Hmm. and we actually know it's very important that they not have any as you already pointed out that they not have any interaction with elves in a significant way that they not have any serious impact on the plot so then why are we spending a lot of time with these characters who it's important that they be unimportant? <laughs> you know, why are they taking up a lot One of time? One possibility would be that we're go- we're seeing a lot more, like it's, it's disproportionate the amount that we're seeing now compared to what will be in the show 
for the one reason that yeah they're going to try and like sort of drag in the casual fans yeah like like with the familiarity of the hobbits and say look there's going to be hobbits in this show and so then the people that mm. are only kind of half interested half interested maybe on the fence maybe people that enjoyed just like the hobbit movies and didn't watch much other things or haven't read any of the books or things like that maybe that'll get them into at least watch the first couple of episodes and then maybe they'll peter out that's my that's my hope that maybe they'll just be a couple of little stories yeah. uh, of them just going about their hobbit or harfoot ways and then as the series goes on <laughs> we'll get more into the you know maybe they'll just yeah. get all maybe they'll all just get killed in episode one you they know? might they might I think get you're killed sort of they might right. just get completely yeah. wiped out <laughs> Just wiped out, like, yeah. That, that that would be hilarious. Just a hardfoot uh, genocide. I think, I think everyone would love it. <laughs> Maybe it's actually Anatar disguised, and he's Lenny Henry, or he's um whatever Sadok. <laughs> Whatever his name is, I don't know, but maybe that's the whole plot. This is where Sauron is like that's hiding. the twist. <laughs> He's one of the Harfoots. That's actually not a bad idea. I should write for this show. Sorry, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think you're right that they will not actually be like serious main players. Yeah, you know, I think Lenny Henry said in the Vanity Fair article or somewhere that comparing the role of the Hobbits in the story to like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Hamlet, where they're kind of like sort of humorous side characters, and so. We're going to see like a, there'll be like the comic relief. There will be some emotional depth. Mm. Um, and actually there's a quote in here that I think is, is relevant. He says, we're the traditional Tolkien little guy. Traditionally, the little people in this world provide comedy, but also get to be incredibly brave. You're going to see us run the full gamut of emotions and actions in this adventure. So I, th- I think they could end up being like a very good, positive, important part of the story. Cause I wouldn't want the show to only focus on the Kings and the Queens and the high Lords and ladies. Right. Cause if it, only focus on those characters you're missing out on most of middle earth you know most of the drama in middle earth plays out uh, amongst the the regular folk um and so if mm. the story didn't encounter those people at all it would be missing something very very important and so yeah. we, we're getting some of the regular That's folks true. with like bronwyn and theo sure you know and the harfoots could sort of play that role as well and so there could be drama of just like maybe they don't in- impact the larger struggle but we see how this larger struggle affects them and just they're struggling to survive and just to make mm. a better life for themselves in this world where things much bigger than them are happening it's a good point and it's like their inclusion could almost make it just feel like middle earth is more lived in and there is mm-hmm. more life out there beyond what like the, the short stories that we're going to be seeing that maybe we'll get small little glimpses of just by the way there are other civilizations just out living their own lives and they're going to be affected too by what's going on by uh, our main stories but um yeah i mean and if they do it in a if they, if they do it in a sparing way i think it could really add to the show as well so I, i'm definitely not gonna write it all off mm. just sweepingly uh, immediately we'll have to wait and see it yeah yeah and i i think that i am generally positive about the design aesthetics for the for the harfords i've come around on it i was a little bit unsure you know i i don't necessarily love the lenny henry's hair you know the the goofy stuff that all the females tend to have like i don't know acorns in their hair i don't know what's going on there but i've kind of come around on it like all their clothes if you imagine the shire folk who they don't work metal already and they're very agrarian and then you dial them back a couple thousand years this is kind of what I'd imagine their clothes would look like. Just very simple mm. cloth, tunics, very, very dirty. Their lamps, we see here another image of Lenny Henry holding up some sort of homemade lamp with um, two female Harfoots next to him. 
it's like made out of twigs and twine as is and they're basically every, gypsy everything. hobbits as well they're yeah just, you know, right they're, yeah. they're like just traveling around in their in their cabins and living that nomadic lifestyle so i mean right. yeah i think they're gonna have like the image we're looking at right now they're gonna have sort of tattered clothes with like rips and stains and they they don't have a washing machine in their house that they can just kind of oh I'll put on a quick quick wash and uh you know uh, all that like i mean they're gonna just have very lived in style clothes and they're gonna be dirty and again i think the yeah the the leaves and acorns in the hair is a strange choice but again maybe we'll get some reasoning for that maybe we'll get some explanation so we'll i think we'll probably just see. get over it too like maybe yeah. it's a little weird but we'll just we'll just get used to it yeah that's very true. yeah i do think as well that one of the one of the things that we're missing are <laughs> one of the reasons that the Harfoots are probably going to be in this show is that whole extra dynamic that we didn't, that we know nothing about, which is this meteor man. And I feel like whatever is going on in that storyline, he's going to land somewhere where the Harfoots are and they're going to be together. So that's kind of two things that aren't anything to do with Tolkien's writing. But it seems like this meteor man is going to be a big plot yeah. of the show. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that maybe fits into one of the quotes Lenny Henry gives us. He says, quote, we're a nomadic tribe moving with the weather and the fertility of the crops. We have big caravans on wooden wheels and we're very good at hiding because humans are much bigger than us and bring trouble. So maybe one of the things that they're hiding is Meteor Man, you know. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Good point. Look at that giant acorn beside this girl. Or is it yeah. a pine Yes, yeah, so we're looking at another <laughs> picture of Nori. I think that's a giant acorn or uh, no pine cone. Look at the yeah. sap running down and here we see in the the center of this caravan some of these scrolls we've seen this in a in in one of the character posters lenny henry was holding the scroll Mm. and we see this higher these hieroglyphs on there maybe this is a map maybe this is these are hieroglyphs i don't know but just kind of interesting it does look cool it's very cool so this is an image i actually really really liked um the, the image of lenny henry in kind of ceremonial regalia with three, I don't know, grassy girls walking behind him. Um, but the lighting is really, really beautiful. The way the, the they got this sort of homemade mm. lamp that's this golden, orangey glow. It's actually a really, really beautiful picture. And I kind of dig the the grass headdress. I mean, it's a little weird, but it's, you know, you, you got to imagine these Harfits are going to have some very early version of Shire culture. And this doesn't feel like Shire culture, but it's like, all right, they're making stuff out of grass. They're nomadic, so they can't get more complicated materials. And they have, he has a really weird grass headdress with maybe some bird's eggs in it. <laughs> I don't know. He looks but like I, a punk I, rocker. He looks I like, like he's got like it. a mohawk uh, gelled up <laughs> yeah. or something. He's got some rocket. Looks like that guy from uh, the Hook movie. What's the, the Never... Rufio. The Neverland kid? Rufio, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I have a story about that, that character. Real quick digression. I was in Las Vegas with some friends and like during um, March Madness and at night we went out to go play poker at a table and I was playing poker. I'm not a great poker player, but we were hanging around for a little while and at the poker table is Rufio or the actor that played Rufio and I didn't recognize (laughs) him because he was a bit older um, and I remembered him being like a 13 year old kid or however old he is in that movie. Didn't have this mohawk. Yeah. So that I, I missed it. But you know, me and my friend were nerds. And so we a hundred percent, like he's like, that's Rufio. And so I, we were geeking out for a while and just played at the table with him for like an hour. 
That's the coolest celebrity interaction I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you speak to him and mention, hey, you're a roofie, right? Or that didn't come up? <laughs> no, we, we did. Um, and my friend was actually the one who did it. And he very smartly did not say, oh, you were Rufio. He brought up some of his other work. He's done a bunch of voice acting work like was later your friend in his just, career. Was your friend just like Googling his other, like his resume under the table or something in order to pretend he knew? Or did <laughs> he actually know? He genuinely knew, I, I think. Oh, wow. Like, he's, he's into it was anime or something like that. Um, and he just knew it off the cuff. And so he complimented him for that work, which oh, wow. he probably appreciated because yeah. I bet 99% of the the fan interactions he has, they're like, oh, you're Rufio. And he's sick yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but going back to this this image, now I've got best Rufio, which is probably the most important thing we've talked about today. Um, <laughs> are, I know you guys are you know, not so sure about the hard fights, but this, this picture, does that this help at all? Is this a plus or a negative for you? Oh, it's beautiful. Um, the, yeah, as you mentioned, well, for me, the lighting is the... the biggest factor here it just looks really incredible breaking through the trees and yeah i've absolutely uh this this is definitely a win for me this photo uh it looks really really cool i don't know what's going on with the three girls in the background if there's some sort of like a uh if this is some sort of a ceremony or if it's a birthday party i don't know what's happening but uh they look cool i like their i like their style i i'm still a little bit confused as to what why like uh Lenny Henry's wearing a, a bird's nest on his head, but um, don't really know. But I mean, we'll have to again with these decisions. Maybe we'll find out in the series. Like, oh, here in this ceremony, I put the bird's nest on my head, and then I do a little march with this hammer thing, and that's and we're like, all right, that's cool, that's fine, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. But I mean, yeah, visually, it looks really incredible. Yeah, and. I mean, that's what we've kind of come to expect as well from a lot of these kind of backgrounds and landscape shots. They just look uh, stunning visually. The coloring, uh, like the the color scheme looks incredible. And uh, yeah, those lamps hanging off like that have just been kind of like, it looks like twigs just sort of tied together and stuff. So uh, yeah, really uh, like a lived in world and a nomadic tribe. Like you said, that's kind of materials that they would be able to get their hands on. So uh, definitely cool. It looks a little like a shot out of uh, Wicker Man. I don't know if you guys ever saw that, the old movie or the funnier one with Nick Cage, but maybe that's the twist is off screen. Nick Cage is <laughs> about to get burned alive in a giant Wicker Man. <laughs> maybe. I've, I've also heard uh, comparisons with that uh, kind of weird psychological thriller movie, Midsummer, which I haven't seen, but I've uh-huh. seen plenty of images of it. And uh, I get that kind of vibe with the girls, especially. Yeah. Probably not what they're going for. I don't think we're going to see human sacrifices. Well, at least not by the Harfoots. But maybe that's the twist because there will be human sacrifices. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the twist. Ooh. These Harfoots are dark. He's your man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so you know, we'll just sort of scroll through a couple of these other final Harfoot photos. You know, um, not a lot to talk yeah, about, just... but they, there is one male character who's sort of the daddy. He's like I don't know, a little bit too tall for. For a hobbit, in my opinion, but we basically yeah. see these characters with their caravans rolling along. That's a cool. I, like I like this image, the one where they're carrying all the caravans and stuff. But um, the uh-huh. other image with the the three girls, I don't know what it is. I just I don't like it. it it's kind of like um, a promotional photo uh, photographer, like a summer camp or something, where everyone had to dress up and wear this craft. <laughs> 
I don't know what yeah, it is. They I had a plant fight. Don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's on uh, the, yeah. the cover of the summer camp brochure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come to Harefoot Town. Yeah, the, and this the, their caravans are interesting. They got like vines and and ropes, mm. like homemade ropes draped over the caravans. It could be cool, you know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm I am like you, still very cautious and skeptical about the Harefoot plotline, but it could be could be good and. You know, I'm warming up to the visuals of, of these characters, you know. Uh, I, I mm. think that their clothes make sense. The, you know, they're super simple. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the yeah the, the actual aesthetic of the, the Harfoots themselves, I have no problem with, except for, I can't remember who this dude is with the with the cane. Um, he's, He is a bit tall. He looks a bit weird. And Lenny Henry. Um, I don't know what I actually don't know. I've heard lots of people talking about Lenny Henry saying that he's a fantastic actor and he's been in some great things, but I I actually have never seen him before. But just the look of him in the show, he he looks like uh, his character is going to represent some sort of like you know bump my head or fall down, and people are supposed to laugh at that. So I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope they're not just like the laughing stock. But uh, but he even right. did say in this article that we are like we are a bit of a comic relief but i hope it's i hope it's kind of in the way that the hobbits were comic reliefs in peter jackson's where it was just funny how much they drank and how much they ate and they sang songs and they didn't care about the world right uh outside of the Mm. uh, the shire but um yeah i suppose look it remains to be seen i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep my expectations low and hopefully i'll be pleasantly surprised well, that can be said for everything in the show, I suppose, right? We're all, we're all hoping, keep us, keeping yeah. our fingers crossed. Well, thanks, guys. It was so much fun having you guys on. I, I really appreciate you coming on and staying up late, going through all these photos with me. Um, I had a really good time fighting through the uh, live stream shenanigans, um, but it was, it was wonderful to have you. Wh- where can people find you and listen to your podcast? Um, so you can find us on at melon underscore heads on Twitter, uh, or else you can just search any of the the regular platforms where you would find your podcast. So Spotify, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, and just look for the Council of Elrond, and you will see the Doors of Doran, and that is our lovely sigil or our artwork <laughs> cover photo. So click on there, <laughs> and you'll see we've got about forty something episodes, and. We have been on hiatus for a while now, but we're coming back on the 29th of June for season two, and we're so looking forward to it. We're going to kickstart talking about more lore, more character dives. Um, we're probably going to have a couple of fun episodes as well sprinkled in there. We'll have, we'll have to bring on some guests, so Michael will, will definitely have, have to have you on sometime. And of course, we're going to be covering all the Rings of Power stuff too, so... Uh yeah, each um each week we're probably gonna be having a deep dive into whatever's going on in the Rings of Power. So um I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, at Melon underscore heads on Twitter and you can find our other social media um on Facebook and Instagram there too. And check us out on YouTube as well. All right. Yeah, and I should point out that your your Twitter account is is just excellent. I mean, you guys have like I think ten thousand followers or something crazy now. Um and you've really yeah. broken the Lord of the Rings meme game wide open. I didn't know there was more fun to be had in the Lord of the Rings meme arena, but uh, you you really have just like the best, most fun Twitter account out there, I think. 
<laughs> daily memes are multiple daily memes, I suppose, that you're going to get. You're, yeah. You'll be sick of Lord of the Rings memes. But, Do you guys uh, come up with all those yourself? I mean, or mostly yourself? I know you've reposted a couple, but no. like, are you creating a lot of those? No, like um, a lot of a lot of them are sent into me, like uh, sent into our account. But it started off with just like reposting other people's, and I I think we just wanted to build a Twitter page up, and we were just like sharing, retweeting, and and then sometimes. Uh, just find them on other people's stuff like there's a couple of good instagram accounts and reddit accounts but uh some of them are our own yeah definitely um but a lot of the time people just i've got a good few people in the dms that just send me stuff and i'm like yeah i'm gonna send that out so uh yeah (laughs) yeah people just people just want to send us in memes and say here share these memes on the page and so yeah it's uh it's cool and we're more than happy to do that yeah, well, you've somehow managed to find all the good ones. There are plenty of dumb ones out there, but uh, none of the dumb ones end up on your Twitter page. You have a lot of good ones. So. There's, there's something to be said for a dumb meme as well. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a time and a place. I, yeah. I think I usually save all the dumb ones for like the weekend or the mornings. <laughs> I'm like, when nobody's nobody's awake to look at Twitter, I was like, yeah, I'll post it now. Nobody will care. Might get the odd interaction of someone that's like, "Oh, I too like Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Lord of the Rings. I'm gonna love this meme." Well, I'll be looking forward to uh, season two of your podcast. I'll definitely be listening um, later this month, so uh, I'm I'm really looking looking forward to that. And thanks again, guys, for coming on. Thanks so much to you. This has been Thank a so pleasure. Much. I hope we get to do it again. And like I mentioned, we will be doing another episode. You guys get Boromir's death scene when we're going through the fellowship. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Hopefully at that point, Jen Gallagher will yes. be back and we can have a, a full boat here to talk about the death Sweet. of Johnny's um, love interest. Shag yeah. interest. He's a good shag. <laughs> Sex machine, Sean <laughs> Bean. <laughs> He's got strong arms so he can hold you after. <laughs> He was penetrated three times that day, Johnny. I think he's had enough. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, it's a family show. <laughs> that's that's now the title of this episode. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, right, guys. Yeah. All right. And on that bombshell. <laughs>
Dave's favorite Lord of the Rings character is. Dave, you'll do the same. You'll write down what you yeah. think Johnny's Lord of the Rings character is. And then we'll reveal and see who gets it right. If you get it right, you get a point. If you get it wrong, you don't. Yeah. Okay, so the first question is, what's the other person's favorite Lord of the Rings character? Write it down. Don't shout it out. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all good anyways. I'm ready. Okay. Okay, so Dave, is, uh, what do you think is Johnny's favorite Lord of the Rings character? Boromir. Boromir. Johnny, what is, what's the correct answer? The correct answer is Boromir. This is clearly one that you guys knew. Okay, so flip it around. What's Dave's favorite? I think Dave's is Aragorn. Oh, nice. Yeah, perfect. Aragorn is is the correct answer. Yeah. All right, all right. Okay, next question. Would you be a hobbit, dwarf, elf, or a man? If you were in Middle Earth, would you be hobbit, dwarf, elf, or a man? Write down the answer for yourself and the answer you think applies to the other person. (laughs) Uh, I feel like I'm curious if you're going to ask us a question that we haven't asked each other already have we asked each other these questions I I think so have we (laughs) I think we've we've asked each other a lot of questions it's probably come up at some point yeah Yeah, I think I I got at least one I think I got at least one right cool (laughs) should we have the big reveal big reveal All right, uh, Johnny who do you think Dave would be um, I said that both of us would choose the same and that it would be a hobbit. Both hobbits, Dave. Is that right? Yeah, hobbits. Two hobbits, if you can hobbits, see it. Hobbits, hobbits. Oh, right. There we go. There we go. Okay, you guys know each other too well. It's all, it's all tied up so far. <laughs> it's the drink. <laughs> it's the green dragon. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to change this question because I was going to ask what what's the favorite Peter Jackson film, but you guys almost, based on your answer so far, I'm sure you know the answer. So favorite beer. <laughs> this is not a Lord of the Rings question, just favorite beer. Oh. Or favorite oh. alcoholic beverage. Jet, let's open it up. Favorite alcoholic beverage. Wow. Well, uh, you can't answer uh, that. Jesus That's impossible. Christ. <laughs> so we've, uh, I, I can't even answer that for myself. All right, let me, for, yeah. does it have to be like an sure. actual brand could we say like actual drink or like do we have to say the brand and all that kind of stuff ah just go down with it dave come on yeah if your favorite drink is a shirley temple or a cosmopolitan you can say that (laughs) okay i i'm gonna say okay this is this is a tough one i I didn't expect this to be this (laughs) This difficult (laughs) i don't want to get this one wrong when you guys are sweating it's like it's like existential this seems so important to you yeah, this is so important, uh, especially this question. Um, again, oh. I don't even know. I'm just gonna just have a have a little guess. Okay, I'm ready. Right, both ready. Okay, Johnny, big reveal. What do you think is Dave's um, drink of choice? I'm probably gonna be wrong, but I've gone for again. I've said that we've gone for the same option and that we both uh, prefer a pint of Guinness. Yes, but I didn't. I didn't write that. I didn't write that down for you. <laughs> you didn't I write down. Me. Um, no, I wrote down Johnny Walker whiskey. <laughs> Johnny Walker whiskey. You don't know me at all. I do have <laughs> I a. I do have an eight, eighteen-year bottle of Johnny Walker, which is delish, but it wouldn't be my my normal whiskey. I had, yeah, I don't know. I just think that the fact that you, you, yeah, I suppose you just don't get good Guinness over in in Spain. I 
I just thought maybe no, but that's why I changed. that's why when I go home I no that's why I now when I go home to Ireland I I can't order anything except for a pint of Guinness. It doesn't matter any situation yeah. or any setting. I'm like. Oh, it's a it's a cold winter's evening. A pint to get us. It's a hot summer's afternoon. Pint to get us. It's just uh, you know, <laughs> oh, when you go, it's nine thirty in the morning. Pint to get us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When so, I was in uh, college, I, I visited uh, Ireland, and I'm pretty sure Guinness was the only thing I drank the entire time I was there. Uh, because yeah. I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'm here. I just have to. I have to drink as much of it as I can. <laughs> you got to <laughs> fill up. You got to stock up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now we've got we've got a lead. Johnny, you are ahead by one point. It is three to two. Um, Apparently, Dave does not know you at all. Shameful. No, shocking. I think I might just like stop doing the podcast with him now. <laughs> this uh, is this is my goal the, the just, whole just time to, to drive yeah. a wedge. Break us up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this last question is is really for all the marbles. It's three points. It's a three parter. Okay, Ooh. it's an opportunity for anybody. It's anybody's game still. And, and have you heard of this game, Mary Shag Kill? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lord of the Rings characters. We'll just do Lord of the Rings, not the broader legendarium. We'll keep it confined to Lord of the Rings. Mary Shag Kill. <laughs> pick your own. And <laughs> who is your brother going to pick? Is this like, can, can we can we make it like the fellowship or something? Because I think it's so broad if it's. Uh, okay. Sh- sure, sure, sure. So out of the nine fellowship sure, characters. Sure, out of the nine. That, that's reasonable. Otherwise, nobody's going to match up at all. Out of the Marion nine. Shag two of them. All right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh god. I shagged them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the only right answer. <laughs> uh, this one's making me sweat as well. Just thinking about shagging them. <laughs> This is the first time I've ever had these thoughts cross my mind. Uh, actually, is that true? No, Probably not. not. But uh, it oh won't my. be the last. It'll haunt your dreams now. Oh, it'll it'll pleasure my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about killing. I've only come up with mine. Now I have to think of who yours are going to be. I think I know who yours. You slut! I know exactly who they are. <laughs> 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 again you, I, i'm like yours are probably the same as mine i thought so but no i think i yeah we'll see all right uh, are you ready yeah i'll just put this down we'll see what happens this is a fun game to do <laughs> right i have it so let's do mary first um johnny right. give us dave's dave would marry aragorn i scratched that out I scratched it out. Yeah. You scratched will it I out. say who Johnny will I say who Johnny would marry? I Well you, you gotta confirm or deny. I mean yeah. who who would you marry? I said I'd marry Gandalf. Oh. Uh I um what did you say for me, Dave? Aragorn. You'd marry Aragorn? You're right. Ah, yeah. Yeah. He was my first thought, but then I said you would totally marry Aragorn, you big liar. You're just trying to you're just trying to get a point back. I know you'd no, marry just, Aragorn. He's so kingly. No, I just want no, to You, you always him. go on about how how beautifully how beautifully groomed his beard is and what he's getting That's his very like, coronation scene. Oh man, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I mean yeah. Alright, so yeah, so I, I, 
Sheffy. Well, let's Google. let's go on to Shaggin. Johnny Who and Dave Shaggin. I feel like uh, because you blew Aragorn on Mary, you might be missing out on this one as well. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, I've he's probably going to shag Aragorn now. Like, I mean, if he's written down, but like, I'm going to say with what I what with what what I, what I had written down initially was that he would marry Aragorn and he would shag shag Legolas. <laughs> Uh, no, no, a, a no, cheeky no. one night stand with Legolas. I chose not to marry Aragorn, so I could shag him, <laughs> because you know, um, <laughs> yeah, the parameters yeah. hadn't been established. I, though I don't know, is this like a platonic marriage? Maybe it's um, maybe it means you have to marry one open, person, but you can shag another marriage. for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I went for, <laughs> I went for shagging Aragorn, and I said that you would shag. I mean, it's obviously you, Chad Barmir, right? Yeah. That's two out of two. Well done. (laughs) Two out of two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dave's recaptured the lead. He recaptured Uh, the league. Okay. You could could bring it back to tie. All right. So I I reckon Dave could make it three for three here. Yeah. 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 Who would Johnny kill, Dave? Uh, I said Frodo. Um. No, I would not kill Frodo. I said that I would kill Pippin. Really? Pippin? Oh, yeah. Poor Pippin. I know, I felt bad. I felt bad, but like, I mean, you can't can't kill Frodo either. Like, I mean, especially not book Frodo. Uh, Maybe (laughs) Elijah Wood, if I kill him. (laughs) Well, yeah, I thought we were going off movies. I said, why would you shag? I said, I said um, that. Sean Bean. Uh, yeah, again, I know I got this wrong because I said I just didn't know what to do. So I just said that you'd kill uh, Mary, but I know you wouldn't. Nah, I said Legolas. You said Legolas. <laughs> I'd, uh, you, you, you're a big liar. You're, you're a fraud. <laughs> what do you mean? I couldn't come to terms with killing any of the hobbits. I think they would have been the easiest to kill and Legolas would probably be the hardest to kill. Yeah, they're... Le- Legolas is just... I think I think <laughs> if it were up to me, and of, out of it, all of the characters that were cast in that movie, if I had to drop one and maybe replace, it'd probably be Legolas. And I love Orlando Bloom, but it's just the one that I can't really see anyone else, or I I could see other people play. But uh, thanks, that was fun. That was good fun. Now, so it's that a tie. A, that was a bit of crack. Now that was good fun. It is no no, Dave. You eked it out. You oh, eked it out yes. by one. You are officially the superior melonhead. This is I I I, I want to have a, a a replay. I want to have a recount. <laughs> the ba- I want the to recount the state in Georgia. No, I definitely want Pennsylvania for sure. <laughs> Check the swings uh, today. You're again. giving me flashbacks. <laughs> oh God, uh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs>